Please note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. We interrupt all radio and television programs for an indefinite period. Please keep your radio and television sets turned on. This is an emergency. I repeat, this is an emergency. And this is Adjust Your Tracking, a podcast where we're on an adventure to watch a century of cinema, decade by decade, year by year, and I am one half of your hosts, Liam Delaney, and with me is... Oliver Jones! I don't know why I said it like that. Very excitable, Oliver Jones. <laughs> I am. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm good. You? Yeah, I'm good. I'm tired, tired today. I've already said I'm tired today. That's not interesting. <laughs> <laughs> How many words left have you got? And I'm out. I'm, I'm borrowing from tomorrow's words now. <laughs> from, like, tomorrow's set of a thousand words. <laughs> but also um, joining us today is our friend um, James. Hello. How are you? Little Jimmy Rayner. <laughs> yeah, I'm not too shabby, thanks. Just uh, hanging around. <laughs> Working, watching movies, <laughs> sweating. Now that I'm sat next to a radiator that's sweltering, I was just thinking the same thing. My heating doesn't work, so I'm wrapped in a duvet. And I'm jealous of both of you. <laughs> <laughs> I might actually take one of my two pairs of socks off. <laughs> Here, do you want my extra pair of gloves? <laughs> That's a dumb and dumber reference. It is indeed. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a second, but I was like, that sounds very familiar. I can picture it happening, but I can't see the actors' faces. It's been an interesting week for movies, hasn't it? I think. Well, Has there's it? been some. Well, stuff I mean, going on. in, in terms not actually seeing movies, but there's been a lot going on in terms of like the Warner Brothers uh, like announcement and stuff like that. Yeah, I was. I actually was thinking it'd be interesting to ask you guys opinions on that because I, I think you guys are much more uh, physical media than yeah. I am, and I wondered if you had different opinions on it or something. Like, so like, like generally, what do you think about the Warner Bros. deal or the kind of fallout to it? Or, or James, do you want like to go first? Um, I can kind of see both sides to it. Like Warner Brothers and all the studios have got a big slate that they've haven't been able to release properly so you know mm. they've got to get it out there somehow and it's not as if they're cancelling the theatrical release altogether it's meant to be day and date which as a strategy has been put forward for years if not decades about how to go sure. forward as we're going into a digital uh, economy and uh, how people are consuming media and you know Evil Dead came out day and date uh, over here in eight, 1983 released on video and in the cinema on the same day and uh, nobody's claiming that was unsuccessful um, but on yeah. the other hand I mean Chris Nolan frequently annoys me with his uh, <laughs> with his pretentiousness <laughs> about film and everything but you know some other filmmakers have come out and said like you know we had back end deals and profit participation and things like that and going to streaming is going to take a knock knock to that and I can see where that's like that's breach of contract and things like that so I can see that yeah, point of view yeah, as yeah. well but when you know it's like we've got to preserve the theatrical experience well like, like <laughs> hand wrenching I'm like well, yeah, grow up 
<laughs> well, well, like you, I can see on both on you know both sides of the argument. You know, they're just sitting on these films, and you know they're not making any money by just sitting there doing nothing. Mm. But on the other hand, is it going to have an effect on cinemas? I know they're giving cinemas extra money, aren't they? Or they can keep more of the the box office revenue because normally it's like what fifty fifty or forty sixty to the to the studio, whatever. And so now I think it's sixty forty to the cinema as opposed to the studio. Yeah, I think it's mainly to the studio over opening weekend and then it kind of gradually moves into the theatre's favour. Because it's only for a month, I think, on the streaming service and then it goes... Then it's just going to go back to the normal cycle, I think, for the film, I believe. So it's not like on there continuously forever. And like... But the only thing I worry about in terms of like what Liam proposed about physical media is like... Is this like nail on the coffin on blu-rays and stuff if it's coming day and day i mean i don't think it is but like i mean we've already like one of the biggest things for me on buying a physical media is like the bonus material and you know that started to diminish now apart unless it's like a um like an older film or like a prestige title or something like that and then you know if you're looking at like criterion films or even Arrow films, they're starting to go up in price, aren't they? So you're, you're approaching like £30 for like just a, a DVD Blu-ray now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Criterion's always been expensive. Yeah. Like they've always been ludicrously priced. Uh, Arrow are, are kind of pushing the boat out more. They're doing these huge like limited editions, which is not just the Blu-ray. It's in a rigid box with booklets and not just booklets, but like proper like books with hundreds of pages and things like that. So you can see why they're they're a bit more expensive but this has been going on for ages as well like studios barely fucking put the effort in for a physical release you might have they're all glorified promotional things there's nothing in depth it's just a two minute feature about the visual effects which is 70 percent footage from the trailer with a couple of talking heads in it (laughs) you really if you're wanting decent extras you've got to rely on the boutique labels like arrow and criterion and shout factory and that kind of thing um but do you remember they were doing yeah. that bullshit of where you had to buy it on different mediums to get the different extras? Like I oh, think on yeah. Star Trek, oh, yeah, yeah. it was like yeah. there was extra stuff on the iTunes one that wasn't on the Blu-ray. That then there was stuff on the DVD that wasn't on those, and you could get an exclusive at Sainsbury's or ASDA that had different features on them. You know, it was like fuck off. Yeah, I travelled. <laughs> I spent like literally like seven or eight hours travelling around Leeds trying to find a Sainsbury's that had the two-disc version of uh, Evil Dead <laughs> that came out the remake. Um, but yeah, they did that with Ghostbusters as well, the uh, the reboot. Um, but there's oh, yeah, a website, yeah. uh, Spook Central. They've uh, compiled all the extras from all the different releases, uh, like iTunes and various other things, and they've just whacked them all over download. So I just got everything from there. But going back to this, like Warner Brothers thing, and like the Chris, like I'm a fan of Christopher Nolan's work and stuff, but um, it did rub me a little bit the wrong way because all these filmmakers are very um, pretty privileged and they're getting to make multi-million dollar movies i don't know what they have to really complain about (laughs) do you know what i mean and it's like regardless of however it's seen i'm sure warner brothers will compensate them like i'm pretty sure they've had to do that on wonder woman they call it wonder woman money or something like that where um all the people with back ends are getting like big lump sum fees from uh warner brothers straight up well they actually discussed it with the one uh wonder woman like cast and crew so right. they actually didn't have any complaints about it but it's everyone else like they didn't mention it to chris nolan or james gunn or anyone like that and they're the ones who are a bit pissed 
Yeah, Villeneuve and actually Legendary because Legendary mm, yeah. kind of had that deal with Warner Bros. There, the oh yeah, the most they're suing them, aren't they? I think. Yeah, yeah, they're doing because it does it, it does seem to be a complete break of contract with Legendary, really. Um, but you know, there is there's no point about releasing it if nobody's going to go see it. I mean, I didn't want to go to a fucking cinema yeah. anyway before the pandemic because yeah. people are dickheads. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would watch it on streaming rather than go to a cinema and. You know, that's the way the winds are blowing. Oh, I miss the cinema. I love. I mean, the cinema. I like it's going my to favorite the cinema. Thing. That's yeah. the thing. Like, and I, the problem is in a place like where I live, I, I do not have a local cinema. Like, if I'm going to cinema, I'm traveling to go to cinema anyway. Mm. Um, and uh, most of the time, I go to cinema. I'm watching it with one or two other people. I'm rarely in a cinema full of people. Like it, and I can see. Some some deal like with like this, just killing those cinemas off, mm. um, and then and really the only thing surviving would be, you know, cinemas in much bigger cities, cinemas with um, you know the boutique cinemas mm. and the boutique experience and stuff like that, which I all love, but as me as a consumer would basically wipe out most of my cinema visits. It it might it would may might might even feel like theatre to me, where I get to go to theatre twice a year or something, whereas you know. I would regularly, in a normal non-pandemic year, go to the cinema like probably once a month, really. mm. and I can just I could see that changing loads, and I don't want it to change. I enjoy that; it's my hobby. You know what I mean? Like I like going to the cinema, so I get that. I get that element of it, and I just mm. I know that it's been sold as like a consumer-driven thing. Well, the, well they're saying it's for a, it a year, and but the thing is, once you open. Oh, yeah. Pandora's box or the genie. It's, how do you get it back in? Like it's it's going to snowball now, and it's you know how's Disney going to react to this now? Like are they going to start putting all their Marvel films like on day and day? And my my problem is as well like the actual. It's such an American focused decision as well. Yeah. Like it's only affecting America actually, um, yeah. and it's only affecting America because HBO is only available in one country out of every country in the world. It's available in one country. Um, and I know there's loads of problems with HBO streaming service as it is. The quality isn't very good. The 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 system itself isn't very good. Didn't so Nolan say it's one of the worst? It's like yeah, root. yeah. <laughs> I think he went. We went overnight. We went from working with one of the best production companies in the world to working for the worst streaming service, <laughs> which is pretty harsh. Um, but like all they're really doing and i don't think they're really thinking about this is all they're really doing is opening piracy back up again oh yeah massively and like so over the years we've really got better with dealing with piracy and and all they're doing is opening up piracy to every other community that every other location that isn't america and even america like as well um and it's going to just cause a spike in this war on like um piracy that like was big deal like kind of like 15 years ago you wouldn't steal a car (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) and that's just gonna it's all gonna spike again because of it i think and that's just shit (laughs) i I did see um that they were planning on releasing internationally uh, like a week or two earlier uh to kind of Mm. yeah like i think wonder woman's out in australia like next week i think or something like that Mm. That but obviously australia are a country that are in a better state than yeah, everywhere else. <laughs> there was there was a slight pause before you added the tree uh, syllable to that, so I thought you were just going to disparage Australia then. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. 
it's a weird one. I can I I understand it all. It just seems like a very I feel like a very cynical kind of deal they've made, which is it's almost like the kind of um the way music companies have made streaming about themselves rather yeah. than the artists. It feels like a similar sort of thing mm. for like film. I was going to say I don't think the idea itself is bad, but they could have gone about it in a much better way. Uh, yeah, that's involving the filmmakers yeah. of, of how they want to go about it rather than just doing a tester with the Wonder Woman people and then be like, okay, we'll just apply this to everybody then. Would you yeah. reckon? Do you reckon they they wanted to do this with Tenant originally or something, but no one was like, nope. <laughs> I've got to imagine that's played into it in some way because he's insisted on a theatrical release that's not done well or as well as they would hope no. would have hoped for. So I imagine that's been a huge decision in this, or a huge part of that decision. I find it funny when people say it like it flopped, and I was like, you can't say that it's flopped, especially like given not, like not this year. <laughs> yeah, it's like come on. It's it's weird. I, I like I feel for Nolan in a way because like he is a guy that loves his kind of you know IMAX and projection and stuff like that. He is obsessed with that kind of filmmaking, and you can't replicate that yeah. at home like you, it isn't the same thing it's you know as James was saying get over yourself a little bit but like yeah. <laughs> but like, I do I do get it that it would annoy him because it's it's like not what he does you know like he doesn't make a Netflix TV show you know like he, he does something different and I kind of get his annoyance at it yeah but Dems the bricks in a pandemic <laughs> Yeah. you got to deal with it instead of just being like, no, we've got to release it. Nobody's going to come see it, but we've got to release it anyway because that's yeah. what it's made for. <laughs> yeah. Like, there was just need to get it out, and it's like, if you just wanted to wait, why not just wait? Mm. Like, what was the need to put it into cinemas? Like, <laughs> well, at least Tom Cruise went to go see it, and that was good. <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird video. <laughs> look, look, everyone, I go to the cinema, I do watch films. <laughs> I'm a normal person. <laughs> That's my favourite thing in um, War of the Worlds, where it's like, it's Tom Cruise trying to prove to everybody that he's not, he is a normal person. It's like, you, you can't play a normal person. It's, the it's character, his Tom Cruise's character in that is so the antithesis of like Tom Cruise's characters. Like he's meant to be like a mechanic and a fucking like, he's basically Mark Wahlberg in a film. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's like, what's going on here? He's clearly not a normal person because any normal person would have fucking choked his dickhead of a son to death years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the kid oh. who runs off and then all of a sudden at the end of the film he's, he's at yeah, home he ready and you're like, yeah. little Oh, what a, what a beautiful yeah. reunion. It's like, no, he should have fucking blown up and been just, <laughs> had his blood sucked out and sprayed everywhere. Oh, yeah. No, that's the, my main takeaway from War of the film. Worlds. I can't remember anything yeah. else. Oh, James, that's what I wanted to ask you one thing. What do you think of uh, the new casting of the Toxic uh, Avenger? Peter Dinklage? Yeah. I, I'm down with that. I think it's fun. Like, I've seen a lot yeah. of people going, not my Toxin. I'm thinking, <laughs> really, you're going to die on that hill? <laughs> Is that where you're landing? Yeah. <laughs> And then, like, I've seen people that, like, me and James are friends with going, I wonder if he's going to be the Toxic Crusader before he becomes the Toxic Crusader or the Toxic Crusader after. And I'm like, he's going to play both of the part. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? What? What? 
Like they were going to say, <laughs> is he going to play the part after he's mutated? And I'm like, that's horrible. If that's what you're going at, or is he playing <laughs> yeah. the pre-mutated part? And I'm like thinking he's just going to play the guy that becomes the that becomes Toxy and Toxy. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh... I mean, it's people are crazy online. Like any anything to do with any film that they watched as a child is sacred and cannot be questioned in any way. A fucking Toxic Avenger. But um, <laughs> yeah. is it going to be sure a trauma? I remember the is Toxic it a trauma film? I honestly think I know it from like the like the kids' cartoons stuff, oh, the, and the Crusaders and things, and the, the video games and stuff. Like I'm not. I might have seen the Toxic Crusader. But that's like Toxic Avenger. Sorry, but I don't. Um, remember it if I'm honest it's to that really, point of like like one of the big plot lines in it if I remember was there was these like the people because basically it's all set around a gym and like he's the janitor at the gym yeah and uh, they're like all the the cool people like mocking him and stuff but the cool people as well they have this thing where they just drive around running people over <laughs> it's really <laughs> weird yeah they, they run over a paper boy's head what yeah, it's 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 like Robocop and Rambo. Like for some reason in the eighties, they thought let's make, take all these massively inappropriate films and make kids cartoons out of them. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Which is such a weird trend that I kind of wish they'd bring back. If <laughs> a kind of a hereditary it. animated series. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Antichrist <Adventures> of the. <laughs> <laughs> that should be in stop motion. That series. Yeah. Yeah. What, like, like by Ardman. Mm. Oh, can you imagine like a wide faced Willem Dafoe getting his dick stamped on? <laughs> <laughs> you have to, you have to think about how you'd make it into a kids' version, like, like Gummo, the kids' animated series, or something like that, or like, I don't know, American Werewolf in London, but it's like dog loves books, so it's just a werewolf going on adventures in various different locales or something, or like Gorgetters. <laughs> there was a Team Wolf cartoon, I think. Was there? Yeah, yeah. Was there? Yeah, yeah. There's a Men TV TV show. But... Yeah, there's like an MT. Yeah, the MTV one, which is kind of like what Dawson's Creek or something, but yeah, but, just a modern kids, modern, modern teens, like young adventure kind of thing. Like, so um, Liam, you watched anything this week? Mm, I've watched a film that should become a cartoon for kids. Actually, <laughs> what's that? Um, I watched the remake of Willard, the rat movie. Oh, yeah. The, Crispin Glover. Crispin Glover, yeah. And that thing slaps. <laughs> <laughs> well, you st- I really loved it. Really enjoyed it. I've heard is, good things about it. I haven't seen it. Is the Michael and Jackson I, I, song it, in the remake? Yes. <laughs> it is. Yes, it is. It's like, so if you don't know, Willard, horror movie from. 1979 I think um, and it's about a really awkward boy called Willard who ends up getting a load of rats in his home and he makes friends with one of them called Socrates and he they form a really close bond and they and he, and he starts using the rats to kind of get back at the people that bully him and, uh, and, and stuff uh, however at the same time there is a leader of the rats like a big gross rat that starts kind of trying to take Willard's like control of the rat kingdom away and he's called Ben and uh, if you don't know the sequel to Willard is Ben and it's about after the end of Willard it's um, it's about Ben going with another boy and they start a team up together um, so 
God knows why this Michael Jackson song exists in the horror <laughs> films. I <laughs> don't understand it at all. But the end of Willard, uh, Crispin Glover sings Ben in the oh, wow. um, like the credits. Ben, like, the two of us it's, need it's look no more. Look no more. We both <laughs> found what we were looking for. Watch yeah, it's got like Arlie Emery in it and stuff, and it's just I just had a great time with it. It was really good, and Crispin Glover's always interesting to watch. Like he's always fun on screen. He's mental in a really good way. Like so. Yeah, I've he's, got the he's, soundtrack, but I've never seen the film for the remake. For the remake, yeah, I don't know. It's a good soundtrack. That's a it's, good choice. Uh, Shirley Walker, um, ah. who composed uh, for Batman the animated series. Oh yeah, yeah. R.I.P. Also, uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Oh, John oh, Carpenter. Yeah, I love that film. That was one of my favourites as a kid. That was. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I used to watch it tons. Like... I, I've never met anybody who's even heard of Memoirs of an Invisible Man, <laughs> let alone two people who like it. <laughs> yeah, you're talking to two of the people who love I John know. Carpenter as much as you do. So. I know, but it's just weird. Like we might have t- talked about it on Facebook, but I've never actually spoken about it in person to either of you. And just hearing another human <laughs> sure. being say, "I liked Memoirs of an Invisible Man," was just really jarring to me for a moment. I mean, <laughs> it's it's the one that deviates from the source material the most, isn't it? I think. Uh, I've actually got the book, but I've never read it. I guess it's it like five hundred pages it's... long. It's. I don't really remember the book, if I'm honest. I know. So hang on, hang on, hang on. So this is nothing to. Do, so members of an Invisible Man is nothing to do with the Invisible Man, like as in the Universal and that original story. No. Oh, no. it's not. Okay. Well, in concept, maybe, but not part oh, of the official franchise. No. It's not part of the Dark Universe. No. <laughs> <laughs> Who was meant to be the Invisible Man in that version? Ah, Johnny Depp. Yeah, was it Johnny Depp. Oh, yeah, which have been a great, great casting. <laughs> kind of weird, kind of abusive, rapey <laughs> memoir. The Invisible Man. Have you seen no. the um, the new one, James? No, it's been on my. Well, yeah, it's, it's been on, high on my radar it, since it came out, but I haven't quite got around to it. It's yet. really good. Honestly, yeah. it's really good. Yeah, it's really, it's well, definitely worth watching. Um, I've been planning to watch. Else, um, Liam? Upgrade oh. as well, the other uh, Lee Wanell movie. Yeah. That is that just a, came out on a lot of fun. It yeah. is such a lot of fun. There's a nice snazzy Blu ray that just came out in the last year or so. Oh, nice. I've been eyeing up. But again, <laughs> me I'm and, a, me and a friend put it on when we were. So, me and my friend put it on when we were hungover, and uh, we didn't really know what to expect, and it's it was a lot kind of more visceral than we were expecting, but like in a really good way. Like, oh. it's really hard hitting and really fun, and. I really had a good time watching that, actually. Is so, that Blumhouse as well? I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. I have to look it up. Yeah. But, yeah, it's really good. Uh, I watched um, First Cow this year, the 2020 film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any good? It's wonderful. I loved everything about it. Like, I absolutely... Like, for me, it's a, like a perfect film. Like, it's... um, uh, So, it's... um. Uh, I told you I've used my words today. A Kelly Reinhardt film. If you know her film, she she often does these kind of quieter kind of character study kind of films. She does a lot of films set in the kind of Wild West pioneer era of America as well. Um, but she kind of has this way of kind of placing different kind of types of people at the front of her stories and things. 
She also got a great film called Night Moves, which is about like um, environmental uh, like terrorists. And um, First Cow is about like kind of you know pioneer time fur trappers in Oregon, who like just the friendship between this um, kind of quiet man who likes to cook and a uh, a really kind of um, a really nice friendly Chinese immigrant who really like wants to kind of make his fortune. It's about their kind of little like trying to make themselves uh trying to like survive oregon or trying to survive this pioneer period and make themselves some money to get out of there really <laughs> and um and in it basically you have the story of the wealthy landowner getting the first cow in the territory and uh they start using the cow's milk to try and make more money like stealing milk off the cow basically to to kind of make their fortune and it's uh it's brilliant. I I just I loved the tone of it. I loved the look of it. I loved the kind of mood of it. Like um, it's a very quiet film. Very nice, like like kind of thing. Um, I was just I, I was just in love with it all the way through. Honestly, it's probably my favorite thing I've watched this year. Actually. Oh wow. So like um, yeah, I really recommend it. Actually. I and thought it's... it was about a cow who became president. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to the sequel, second cow. <laughs> like, <laughs> exciting <laughs> the farmyard sequel to uh, first kid <laughs> Disney. is it Disney Sinbad thing? in that <laughs> I think so <laughs> yes I haven't Mandela affected it and he is actually in that he's in some it's not, films it's not Shaquille O'Neal <laughs> oh the poster for first kid is amazing <laughs> I just picture him with sunglasses like looking down is that right yes, yes. Yeah, looming over the White House <laughs> he had a stroke recently didn't he Sinbad did he yeah like, yeah, like a couple of weeks ago when we being on the news oh no way I think he's doing okay I think he's doing well, fine I think rest up good Sinbad. Sinbad yeah we need that Kazam sequel <laughs> didn't he wasn't he in some he did something where he referenced that joke or it's in some oh really I think they yeah. did like a funny or die Type video, is that what it was? Like a trailer for it or something. Got you. I don't know. It does sound familiar, like he's acknowledged it in some way. <clears throat> Have you watched anything, James? Um, I've been catching up on the uh, oeuvre of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I missed a bunch of his uh, latter day films. So I've uh, I watched uh, The Sixth Day. Is that the one oh, with yeah, yeah. two Arnies? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that one. Um, not I quite horror. enjoyed that. Like, I didn't realize it was a, a PG thirteen uh, film, so it, it felt kind of uh, lightweight. Like, the, there's a few cutaways from like wounds or violence that I th- was yeah, because uh, that's for. kind of the era when he was doing like Batman and Robin and Jingle of the Way and stuff like that. And mm. he, then like post Junior, really, isn't it? When yeah. a lot of his films were marketed much younger, he'd become this kind of like more of a younger kind of icon or something. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a bit more extreme because the one clip I've seen of it is uh, it's a shame you didn't clone yourself so you can go fuck yourself. Uh, so I assumed it would be more along those lines. <laughs> but that, that was their one solitary fuck in the film. Um, was that so was... actually theatrical released here? If I remember, I just remember it yeah. like being on video straight away. Or, like that other one, uh, what's it, Collateral? Collateral Damage. Yeah, Collateral damage, yeah I also watched that, that one. Was that not cinema release? That one got delayed know, because just... of uh, 9-11 collateral damage. Because uh, it was about a terrorist attack and it was meant to come out like October 1st or something and they were like, let's push this back a bit. Uh, 
<laughs> I have seen these, but I think it was when they were like they were like on Channel Five, like on a Sunday night or something. And I just kind of yeah, they're not his best. I mean, I did enjoy Six Day for its its goofiness. I mean, it it kind of knows how stupid it is. Um, collateral yeah. damage was kind of bland for the most part. It does kind of pick up a bit in the last twenty minutes, half an hour, but it's again not his best. Uh, yeah, I don't remember that one at all. I remember Six Day a bit. And uh, Eraser, I watched that one. I had seen that before, but the UK version is cut by about three and a half minutes. So, oh, uh, I, really? Yeah, because uh, it didn't do well theatrically, so Warner Brothers, uh, in their infinite wisdom, decided they wanted uh, a lower rating on video. And this was when uh, the BBFC okay. were very scissor-happy, so they decided, you need three yeah. and a half minutes out of this. That, that's really funny, because I watched those... like. Um variety or whatever they are like videos on youtube where it's like actors are talking about their like best roles and stuff like that mm. and i was watching the arnie one and he was like i did i did uh eraser and that was a huge success for warner brothers <laughs> 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 i think these people have like a different idea of how successful their films actually are compared to yeah like, I, I, I think i saw America, the same video about. <laughs> yeah i think he was applying a lot more depth to a lot of his characters than he's actually on the screen as well yeah, I think that might. <laughs> I mean, he does talk about how the, how great the script for Batman and Robin is as well. Oh, he did. Point. Did you watch the same one? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like a twenty-minute video or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I remember liking Eraser. I don't know if I. Yeah, I think I think it's his last like great like yeah. the peak period film. Which is the one where he fights the devil? End of days. And, yeah, I yeah. remember that feeling like a bit of a letdown because I was expecting something like yeah. Doom where he fights like an actual physical big beast devil and that kind of didn't happen. Uh, I hadn't seen it for a while but I thought he did fight like a giant set in a church at the does end. Does it? I can't remember. Maybe I should watch it again. I uh, again, I just remember one line from it where he's shouting at the devil saying you're a fucking baby compared to me. He's, he's <laughs> such a badass. <laughs> I can tell you that it's got 11% on, on tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's better really, than 11%. I think it must be. I think I remember liking it a lot more than that. Yeah, it's got Gabriel Byrne as the devil, so that's that's got to be worth more than yeah, 11%. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I watched See? Aftermath as well, which uh, I think is his last like think main leading role. Yeah, what's, um, what's that one? 2017, Aftermath, yeah, right. based on a true story of... Um, uh, two planes collided um, and killed everybody on board and Arnie is uh, he loses his wife and daughter in it and um, he holds the air traffic controller responsible and uh, tracks him down and demands an apology it's, a, it's not an action film It's a, for the most part it's just incredibly dour and dramatic where they're just everybody's in grief Arnie and the traffic controller and everybody investigating is just such a bummer for most of it. But I think Arnie's really good as a dramatic actor. I mean, he's not like Daniel Day Lewis or anything, but he can <laughs> he can pull it off well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, the, the the key with Arnie is just get less is more from him. So I think if because he's got yeah. such a presence, like physical presence, if you just kind of give him less to say. You can probably do a lot more with that, I think, than mm. if he actually has lines and stuff like that to kind of to get out and stuff. Like yeah. Like, I never I saw his zombie film. Was it Maggie? Maggie. Maggie. Yeah, Maggie. I thought he was, yeah. I, I 
I haven't watched it since it came out, but I remember really being impressed with him in that as well. I actually remember liking that as well, yeah. I can't remember. I've the thing that annoyed me about that was that it was shot like a Facebook ad. It was just very <laughs> kind of soft, kind of sunset filters uh, and handheld cameras. And I was yeah. like, I was just waiting for Colour the Facebook grading. logo to come up and say, friends are forever or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> You've been friends for eight years. What's your story together? Didn't you watch um, Mikey and Nicky as well recently? I did, yes. I, uh, I got the Criterion Edition Blu-ray, so that cost me fucking 30 quid. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I listened to your uh, podcast straight afterwards. Like uh, oh, yeah. I, I, I said at some point, like I've downloaded a whole bunch of episodes that I will listen to as soon as I've watched the film. <laughs> um, but but uh, I agree with Ollie. Like, there's a... You know, a lot of technical things where with continuity and because it's all improvised, it's hard to keep track yeah. of some of it. But I, I, it didn't bother me as much as it seemed to bother Ollie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd noticed I it. Just, but... I just think if you were, if you were more into that film like Liam and Natalie were, mm. it probably didn't bother you as much. And don't get me wrong, I, I liked it enough, but it just it didn't hit for me like it did for them. I don't think. Yeah, sometimes no, but... it's just the right sort of like flow. Or whatever, yeah. Right? Nobody noticed the huge fucking lapel mic that Peter Falk is wearing in the cemetery scene. <laughs> I don't remember, yeah, I don't remember anybody pointing that out, but I was watching a, a little... Uh, yeah, but you of, were uh, watching a of... pristine Criterion edition. I was Well, I didn't notice on... it either. It was only when I was uh, I was watching a little making-off thing on YouTube, which for some reason isn't on the Blu-ray. Um, oh, <laughs> and they're talking to, uh, I think it was the... Um, the editor. Or oh, is, the there, is there an Elaine May commentary on there or anything like no, that? No, no. Oh. Um, I can't even. I don't even know what I've done with it now. Uh, what is the? She supervised the transfer. Okay. Uh, there's a interview with the distributor and uh, Joyce Van Patten, who was uh, Nikki's wife, who's in it for five minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, quite uh, the end. Yeah, and uh, some interviews with some critics, and an audio interview with Peter Falk from 1976. So you definitely uh, got your money's worth on extra. Yeah, one. I mean, I could see it, so I figure <laughs> that was uh, a step up from a lot of the other reviews I've seen for other DVDs and transfers. So yeah, I'm happy with that. Fair. I think that's fair. Uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. So now I've just got to track awesome. down a copy of. Uh, the Heartbreak Kid, the uh, other yeah, Elaine I've never seen the Heartbreak film. Kid. Yeah, that's one of the ones I really want to see. I've seen the remake by the um, Farrelly's. Farrelly's. I didn't know it was a remake, to be honest, when I first saw it. But I didn't like their version. But uh... I don't think anybody did. From what <laughs> I can remember. I don't even remember their version. I, I ben Stiller. I... Yeah. Oh God! Wow. I can't remember who else is in it, but uh... though I do kind of want to go back and watch Ishitar again. Actually, I saw it years ago, but I kind of now want to go back to it. I bet yeah, it's I was not looking. As bad as um, people say it is. I was looking at buying that, but um, I also discovered that there's a new uh, pristine Blu-ray coming out um, at some point in the near future from Indicator. So I'm going to wait for that. Uh, yeah, definitely. Meantime, try and find the Heartbreak Kid because it's Heartbreak Kid, yeah, going for like 130 quid, I think, at the moment on Amazon. Wow. Amazon Marketplace. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I don't know why nobody's put it out in the last 20 years, but there we go. It's only on Region 1 as well. It's always the way, isn't it? 
Like that's why everything's just came as we said earlier, everything's getting pushed to kind of streaming, isn't it? Though you can't stream it anywhere. It's no, not available it's, to stream it's anywhere. There's literally like. nowhere for it to be found. No. Is it not even like on the Criterion channel in um, America or anything like that? Uh I haven't seen it. I hadn't seen it either when I was searching for it. So. Um What was the uh fil- you watched the the newest film by the guy who did um Colin, didn't you? Oh yeah, June Drifter. Is it any good? It is. Um yeah, I saw it a few weeks ago actually, because um, it was uh, playing at the Leeds Film Festival, and they had an online screening room type thing where you could uh, stream it. So I did that. Um, so I picked up the DVD when it came out. So what's that um, about then? Um, it's like a. It opens very Star Wars. There's like a group of, like a squadron going into battle against this uh, unnamed enemy. Um, that's. Uh, attacking this huge ship um, and they all get wiped out apart from one um, that gets shot down and crashes on a planet um, and their life support is running out and the ship is totaled um, and then another enemy ship crash lands on the planet as well so they've got to try and avoid getting killed by the enemy and try and st- steal some parts from their ship to get back home Okay. It's uh, what's that called again? Dune Drifter how does Dude, it look okay. visually? Like, you know, obviously Colin's famous for like costing what, like four hundred pounds or something like that. Oh, that's like ten times the budget that it actually was. It's like forty-five pounds. What? What Colin was? Yeah, I think they okay. bought a crowbar and like a few packs of crisps and biscuits for the, daring. They that's kind of don't count the. It. They don't count the cost of the camera, though, that they use, or the computer they edit it on and stuff. Well, like if you've that. already got all that, then you don't need to yeah. count that. <laughs> um, I wouldn't include that. So what was the budget on June Drifter? Like, does it does it look good? It looks really good, yeah. I mean, they shot in um, uh, Iceland, oh, okay. the alien terrain. And oh, like Prometheus. Yeah, it, it looks really good. Um, and it, uh, like Mark Price, the director, he's got a kind of very distinct style kind of uh i won't say documentary style but it's it's very uh, like urgent it's handheld it's quick cuts it's mm. uh it really adds to the energy of it um and it's, say it's, that it the budget was apparently 100k okay it's only it definitely looks more like 100 uh, like more than 100k mm. yeah um but yeah it's a really good film thoroughly recommend it um there has been a, a snafu on the DVD, uh, at least for the UK release, because um, the distributor has made some uh, semi-authorised edits to it, because um, they thought the beginning was too slow, there was too much exposition, so they cut like five minutes out of it, um, and that's the default version on the DVD, um, when it should have been uh, like an extra. Um, so oh, so they've of, given you both versions, though. There is that element, but... Um, you know, the, the, it's meant to be what the director's cut is the default version of the DVD and the trimmed version as an extra. And Why do they bother it trimming it if they're going to put the other version on there? That seems so I ridiculous. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a bit it's, weird, yeah. It's a strange decision. But, uh, yeah, so if you do pick it up, uh, watch the produce, what's listed as the producer's cut on the DVD. Okay. Have you, uh, you watched anything, Ollie? Yeah, I watched uh, Knives Out the other day, which oh, I yeah, wish yeah. I could say I enjoyed. Well, no, I did enjoy Knives Out, but I wish I liked it more than I did. Like, it seems a lot of people really liked Knives Out. Like, Brandon really liked it. and um, Yeah, I really like it. I don't know. Just I, 
it probably didn't help that Caroline wasn't into it and Caroline was moaning about it as we were watching it. <laughs> and I think sometimes if someone's going, it's like if someone's kind of not into something, you can kind of, you, you vibe off them a little bit. So maybe that could have been part of it. Sure. But, um, but yeah, like whodunits are always a bit weird. And I think sometimes when you get to the end and you kind of find out who did do it and what the, you know, the outcome, sometimes it just kind of, kind of falls flat and i guess sometimes again it's not about the destination it's about the the journey yeah, and there was some the whole journey of that film was that what i enjoyed yeah i mean so. it it kind of definitely ha- i know and this is gonna sound really weird but it had that kind of because they're like a quirky family that kind of adam's family or dark shadows kind of off kilter vibe to the family doesn't it or do you know what i mean that kind of like bit quirky kooky kind of family yeah. um but i kind of like I, I did like how the girl was kind of into. Tw- I don't want to spoil anything, but like how the girl was kind of, she thought she was guilty, and then she wasn't, or she was, and I thought that was quite, that was quite fun. And um, Daniel Craig was good in it as well. I liked his donut speech. Yeah, I like Daniel Craig in it a lot. I just like I, I love I love murder mystery films, like um, or t- even TV shows and stuff. Mm. And like the Midsummer Murders. A, I don't watch too much Midsummer, but I do kind <laughs> of. I kind I kind of love it. Like. I went a few years ago, was it last year? I don't know, a million years ago, last year, um, <laughs> I went to a conference and a guy presented an archaeology paper about the kind of um, the, the cult horror in, in Midsummer Murders and how it relates <laughs> to prehistoric like, okay. monuments and stuff. And it was maybe the best presentation I've ever seen in archaeology. <laughs> it was so good, and like loads of his slides were just were just constant slides from Midsummer Murders, like like the kind of the bloody scenes and stuff. Here's like that. Bergerac and, with a dead body, yeah. <laughs> and loads of the fake monuments they put up to do like cult murders at and stuff. Like it was um, it was brilliant. <laughs> so I do like Midsummer, but um, yeah, I just I just it used to be such a product of like British television and British yeah. kind of filmmaking these murder mysteries, and I just kind of. I was just like missed them to the point that when I was watching Knives Out, I was like, I've missed just watching a murder mystery with a kind of interesting character at the lead, you know, like a. This is weird because it was a mix of yes, you kind of knew who murdered them, yeah, but it wasn't the full story. So like normally in American ones like Columbo or um, Murder She Wrote, you know who's already murdered them by the beginning, don't you? And it's about how they then work it figure out, figure it out. It's, Whereas the UK probably, one, yeah. it's like we don't know who it is. And then at the very end is when you find out who when it all comes sure. together. So this was kind sure. of like a mixture of the two, I Mi- felt. A bit of a mixed, yeah. yeah. But, um, I also watched the documentary. It's called Happy, Happy, Joy, Joy, the st- story of Ren and Stimpy. Okay. And I really enjoyed this. It was really, really good. And I mean, like, as an animator, like, who of a certain age, like, Ren and Stimpy was, like, massive for, like, me and a lot of people that I, you know, in my circle of animating friends... But the problem is with Ren and Stimpy, it comes with this massive stigma, and that's the creator, John Kay, is like, I wouldn't even say a divisive figure, he's just a very, mm. he's a not-liked f- figure in the toxic element in animation, yeah. yeah like, and yeah. like, you know, it's nobody, like, I know people who know him, and they don't like him in the slightest, because he goes to the same, like, animation film festivals, or at least he used to go to them. Oh, okay, yeah. And, you know, he was always with a young uh girl was always with him and stuff like that but like um i found it really interesting about how all ren and stimpy was put together and like like he is a genius like in terms of his actual 
how he you know his his product in terms of his how he animates and stuff like that is amazing but i don't want to give him praise because that <laughs> do you know what i mean it makes yeah, me feel sure. makes me feel bad like it's it's always a hard hard thing when there's something you really like but there's a real toxic element that kind of really spoils it and ruins it and it makes you question should i should i should I like it anymore? It's like mm. Earthworm Jim. I love Earthworm Jim, the game. Yeah, it's so God. much fun and stuff like that. But the creator yeah. of Earthworm Jim is just he's, well. Yeah. There's two creators. There's one who's 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 decent. He's like a game developer. But then there's the other one, Doug Tenaple or whatever his name is, who is yeah. not a nice person. No, uh, he's not. <laughs> he's not. I think it's um, difficult. It's like um um like it, there's certain properties I think you can divorce the creator from it. Yeah. quite easily uh i think father ted is one for me yeah um graham linenhan i don't you know it's it's difficult to even say how much of a contribution he makes to stuff when it's yeah. when it's a team of writers same black books um and you can see the kind of diff yeah you can see the different in you can see the difference between black books father ted and the it crowd depending on on like the it crowd is all graham linenhan but mm-hmm. the other ones aren't. So I think it's sometimes easy to just kind of take away that kind of character from from something you like. But there's stuff like um, Harry Potter where it's so in- intertwined to the creator to the point when someone like JK won't even, like, she doesn't let the property go. Like, she, she'll make sure she's tweeting, constantly telling you, like, wizards shit on the floor and stuff like that. Like, or, <laughs> or this character was gay or whatever. Like, she, she doesn't let the property just live as her work and i think at that point it's difficult to divorce out the creator right. really i mean and, got, and it does help with Joanne and stimpy that he got fired yeah i mean that's quite interesting how you how he got fired and like you know how insane he was like like so the the episode would be finished and it would be about to wear on M- on um, nickelodeon but then he'd take it and he'd re he'd reanimate over the top and stuff like crazy insane oh, right. stuff like he couldn't let go of his work and they had to like he wanted someone who could physically just prize it out of their hand but everyone was scared of him because he was such a kind of like just a, he was just mental <laughs> like, right. like for a lack of a better word like he was yeah. just insane like and it seemed like people kind of worked like he tortured people he worked for yeah but, yeah but like I think these people were so... They, they, were, they called it the cult of John Kay and people were so... They admired him so much because of how talented he was that they wanted his approval. So they'd yeah. work like... In, they'd just be... In, they'd work these insane hours and just be great. Like, you know, he'd, he'd tell them they're a piece of shit and stuff like that. And he was just horrible to them. But yet they were all kind of... I don't know, caught in this like little bubble of web because what they were creating was was really unique at the time like you know you had cartoon cartoons were original around that time were just made to sell toys whereas this was a cartoon that was about the love of animation like every single like it wasn't just okay draw face number one here draw the face number two yeah every face was different and had to you know it was an animation like if you're an animator that's your dream to do this kind of project because it's so out there and it was it, putting the animation first and yeah, the exactly, character yeah. and that before anything else. Yeah. yeah. And obviously like if as an animator that might have been the first time anyone had asked you to do something that's so much about your you know, your craft or whatever you what you do. So yeah. they probably did make them quite obsessed with this make trying to make the show as great as possible. And I, I was 
wouldn't say I was worried, but I was concerned they weren't going to... Because John Kay's in the documentary and they interview him, talk to him and stuff. So I was thinking, okay, are they even going to go where I think they're going to go? Are they going to not go there? Yeah. But no, they go there and they talk about how, you know, he pretty much had like a... Uh, like a, through kind of like letter correspondence with a 14-year-old girl. And by the time she... He went to visit her when she, before she was 15 or 16 and stayed with her parents. Then she mm. went to go live with him and stuff like that. It's completely messed up. And how he's not in jail, I have mm. no idea. <laughs> but like... And I'm surprised they went there. And like the documentarian on the video on the film is like, you know, what would you say to her now? Because, you know, she's come out saying she's horrified by the things that he did and stuff like that and, and mm. ruined her life and stuff. And of all the things he said, he never said, I'm sorry. Do you know what I mean? He's, he's just... Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a good documentary and I recommend watching it. Um, but then the other thing I watched, I watched a uh, finished series, one of The Mandalorian, which is... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> Like, like spoilers. So if anyone wants to watch the Mandalorian, hasn't just skip ahead a little bit. But like, they reveal like he they reveal him at the end of the first the last episode of the first series. Oh yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I couldn't help it, but you know, in Mrs. Doubtfire, when he does an impression of a hot dog. No. And he kind of pushes his shoulders up, and he kind of does this. <laughs> That's what the Mandalorian looked like when they like. You'd think when they reveal the Mandalorian, like his face, they'd have it a bit more heroic than this. And I thought they should have saved that for the very, very, very last episode or something. It felt like so anticlimactic when you, because like I kind of liked it, but we know actually. what he looks like as an actor, so it's not. Yeah, that's that why I kind of liked it because so often what they will do with these incredibly good-looking people is where if they hide them under a helmet, they take the helmet off and it looks like they never wore a helmet. Yeah, no, that's fair. Like, he was sweaty and and he was sweating and his hair was a mess and he was tired. Like, and I kind of liked that rather than just having perfect hair. <laughs> like just looking like pristine, I did think it was a better choice. That's yeah. all I really remember about that scene. Honestly, series one of Mandalorian is not in my head anymore. <laughs> it's gone. I watched series. I've watched the first episode of series two, and Timothy okay. Oliphant has no hips. Like he's wearing <laughs> that Boba Fett armor, and it looks so bizarre. Like on him, it looks like it's just hanging off him. I think that's obviously the point that it's not his armor. So. It's not his. Yeah, maybe. But yeah. I enjoyed the episode. I've been. No, I've enjoyed season two, I think, of The Mandalorian, but I'm struggling to care about it. I'm just, <laughs> right. I'm just enjoying it. Like it, That's fine. That's absolutely fine. That shouldn't be a problem. It's just that I see out there people are really caring, um, and I kind of feel a little le- like like left out that I just can't. No, I'm the same. I don't same. know what it is. Like I don't know what I don't know what the block is, and I think. I feel like we've said, we've said about this 400 times about TV shows, but there is just like an, an element nowadays to start your TV show a season before you mm. want the story you want to tell. And I think The Mandalorian absolutely did that, really. And it's why season one feels so meandering, whereas season two is so directed in what it's doing. Um, and the story it's telling that's increasing every episode, it's getting like um, more clear about what story they're trying to tell. And it's all to do with Clone Wars and Rebels and stuff like that. And I... I don't. I've never watched those shows, so yeah. it doesn't really well, ring anything to me. Really. Star Wars fans love it because I'm not a person who's into lore and stuff. I like it as a kind of a background thing to kind of help build a world, but I never. I'm not bothered about delving into that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I like it as like just world build, and like background stuff. But some people love that minutia, don't they? And love. Yeah. And for me, it's not. 
I prefer character and scenario as opposed to plot. Okay. So, yeah. like, for example, Ghostbusters. The film doesn't exactly have the best plot in the world ever, but it's got good characters and it's got a good setup. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? The moment you start adding too much plot into that, and it's, you know what I mean? It, it, yeah, I just get bored with stuff. Like, it's like, I don't know about you, James, but when it comes to Ghostbusters, I couldn't give two shits about the extended universe of Ghostbusters, the comic books and all that. No, I mean, but I've like, read them. Um, and they, they, it is fun, like, there's, they're, they're kind of doing multiverse type stuff where they've met the extreme Ghostbusters and uh, the, the real Ghostbusters. And it turns out that the episode where they met, the issues where they met the real Ghostbusters took part in the real Ghostbusters episode where the Ghostbusters go missing and Janine has to become a Ghostbuster. So it kind of ties into that. And I think that kind of thing is fun where you see things intersect for a brief moment, but I'm not keeping track of like the continuity or wait, Winston has a PhD, but he says in the other one that he's a soldier. What's going on? Ah, oh, okay. Fuck this comic it's like book. You have, it's like you have fans now. They're like going, what the fuck happened to Ecto-1A? Why is the new Ghostbusters car the first <laughs> Ghostbusters car? What? Like, who cares? Like, honestly, why do you care? <laughs> like, I don't get it. But they're like, talking I must... Ghostbusters. You are. You just reminded... I'm talking to Ghostbusters. I read an article this week, and I don't know if you guys know this, but it was about... Um, about the guy who played Vigo in in Ghostbusters Two. It's just about oh. his voice. He stormed it, out of the cinema. Well, no, yeah, I, I yeah, because he was voiced by Max von Sydow. But no, like uh, the the articles on um the articles on Deadspin. It's called the hateful life and spite, yeah, the hateful life and spiteful this. death of the man who was Vigo the Carpathian, and um, yeah. the guy's name was Norbert Group, a uh, German guy, and his life is insanity. Really. Like, yeah, it's he's such a horrible human being. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's hung, drawn, and quartered. <laughs> I mean, that would be a good end for him, I think. Yeah, it would have yeah. been. Really? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, just um, looking at me doesn't look like a nice person. <laughs> It's it's it like basically he was a mob enforcer for years. He was like a pro wrestler who took it way too seriously. He was a you know a very spiteful, angry boxer um, who was always willing to take a dive to get money and stuff like that. Like. Um, it seemed like a like he was properly always embedded in kind of like um like mob stuff and and things like that he um and eventually kind of just like stumbled into hollywood really to do the same thing but i never realized this that he's in die hard as well yeah yeah we watched die hard the other day me and morag and uh, i was like look looks vigor he's Vig- no you missed him but look, look he's, got, he's got the jacket <laughs> look he just dropped the missile that's this vigor <laughs> I'd never caught it before, and now, like seeing him in the stills, I was like, "Oh yeah, it looks exactly like it." How did I never realize like it's exactly the same guy? But it's a really great article. It's it's fascinating. Like it's it's actually kind of fascinating. The life. Oh, there's William Atherton in Die Hard as well, so it's a semi Ghostbusters reunion. Oh Oh, god, (laughs) but not as much as uh, Bean, the first Mr. Bean movie, which has got half the cast of Ghostbusters two in it. (laughs) Good point. I'd love. I, what's his name? Peter McNichol. Yeah, I just, yeah. I love Peter McNichol. I think he's one of the best. He, in a, if <laughs> he is genuinely watched, hilarious uh, in Bean. I thought. Yeah, I his, think too. His reaction yeah, when he so sees too. the yeah. uh, the defaced Whistler's mother painting is fucking hilarious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, oh, he's, so, he's one of the oh. best parts of Ghostbusters too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and if you ever watch Veep, he's absolutely ghoul? amazing on it. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> like, 
If you ever watch Veep, he's absolutely amazing in it. I've got like, that on my so Amazon funny. wish list. I need to get that. So I haven't he's, seen him. I know he was in, in Ali McBeal, but I never he really was. Watched yeah, I watched way too much Ali McBeal. <laughs> we, um, you bet. James mentioned um, multiverses earlier, and um, there was a big casting announcement yesterday, wasn't there? Um, Oh uh, yeah, Mr. Alfred Molina is returning to the Starman. Starman. Star <laughs> <laughs> the Spider-Man's. Spider-Man. But apparently, um, Kirsten Dunst's and um, the not Toby Maguire one. What's his Garfield. name? Garfield. Garfield. Yeah. Okay. So, is there anyone they haven't got yet? Then. Yeah, Toby Maguire, I guess. Paul and... Giamatti. Is Paul Giamatti returning? <laughs> the Rhino. The... I know. <laughs> They haven't got Sam Raimi, so I don't give a shit. They have. They've yeah. got him for. Um, He's doing s- Doctor Strange. Strange. Doctor Strange. Yeah, yeah, so I'm gonna have to fucking give a shit about that now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Lord of the Rings, the Peter Jackson all over again. <laughs> We're talking to Peter Jackson. Have you guys plans to get the 4K? For Lord of the Rings, that he's re- is he just released it or is it coming out? I soon? want it, but it's very expensive. Yeah. Uh, probably I know there's not. some controversy over that, but I was Why? looking through the. Uh, he's just color graded it differently. Uh, um, yeah, uh, they're very glowy. The, I, I don't know if you can yeah, take that away from them, but I agree. The glow I think is that's too basically much. what he's done is reduce the kind of that like really washed out glow, especially on the Hobbit. There's way too much of it in that. But um, people, are, the fans are a little bit up in arms about it. But I was looking through it, going, I think I prefer the 4K one. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I don't know because I'm obviously not watching it 4K on YouTube. But um, like, I don't know. I could see why he did it, and he's not doing like a, he's not replacing guns with walkie-talkies or anything. Like, he's just you, just color grading. If you go on any like Blu-ray or high-def like forum about transfers, and there'll be the biggest thread because. DVD and Blu-ray fans, well, not DVD, but Blu-ray, like physical media fans, are obsessed with transfers and like, right. if it's not, I don't know, like bit rates and all this. Bollock, yeah, I've like, seen yeah, a just, lot of complaints just, about bit rates. As long as it looks okay, does it? Like, chill out. I think there's I mean, a bit I of a misnomer as well. Sorry, go on. I was going to say, there's a, the reason I haven't bought Predator on Blu-ray is because of the Oh, transfer. no, that's because they've smoothed it all out. They've done, yeah. they've done like digital denoising, and it's... So, so like they did yeah. it to Terminator, and it looks like garbage. I haven't bought that either, because it doesn't have the original uh, sound mix. I don't like the the new <laughs> pris- pristine digital modern sound effects they put on. I want the big, meaty fucking... They've done that to Batman as well, the, yeah. the Tim Burton one. They've remo- they replaced with, all the sound um, effects with Jaws as well, but they at least included the original track on there. But there's not one Terminator Blu-ray in the world that has the original track on it. God, so, that's really weird because '80s kind of sound is really—I can hear it. You know, I can hear the texture of it. Yeah. It's different. It feels different. Like oh. that's yeah, that's kind of a weird decision. I mean, it's fine, they can do it, but just include the old one. Just include the old one as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we've been chatting for an hour now, so what uh, <laughs> So what, what year are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about 1954, I believe. So, I mean, 1954 in movies at the time, really we're getting some of the biggest kind of... Some of the biggest films of the, the decade, actually, this yeah, year. Yeah, some so. good films. So like Rear Window, Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Um, he also Dahl M for Murder in the same year, which is insane that those two things come out in the same year, frankly. Um, but yeah, 50s filmmaking, I don't quite understand their schedule sometimes. Um, 
I guess it could be that he shot one the previous year and it came out early, and then one came out at the one end of the year. Yeah, so. yeah, that might Spielberg's be done that a few times, like didn't the post and yeah, Ready Player recently, One come yeah. out within yeah. three months of yeah. each other or something? But if you look at the fifties, like I think he's releasing at least one a year, though, isn't he, um, mm. Hitchcock? Whereas Spielberg kind of does two, then has like a good couple of years. He kind of makes, yeah. He kind of does. He makes like two films in three years or something, doesn't he? Two years and stuff. Yeah. But fifties filmmaking, it was just insane. You look at people's like filmographies, and they're making two or three films a year. Well, a lot of them are kind of under contract out there, so they're like, yeah, Yeah, it's a it's a production line. Like, okay, you finish this one, move on to the next one. It's not like they were just chilling out between between uh, shows. I mean, uh, it's kind of like it's a full time job. Yeah. (laughs) Which you know, <laughs> maybe there's something to be said, but, but yeah. <laughs> um, but other films, um, Seven Samurai. Obviously, we covered. Um, yeah. We covered uh, Kurosawa in the beginning of the mini series, but like. I love how you put a G in it all the time. I don't know why I do that. Kurosawa. I, I can't stop it. <laughs> Kurosawa. It's a, it's everything he makes is a saga. That's why. Like, but uh, Seven Samurai. That I I consider that his most famous film. I don't know. Like, but I, that's the one I knew of before anything else. Anyway, well, it's the yeah. one that they've remade into the is it the Magnificent Seven or whatever? Or yeah, yeah, I think they've remade yeah, it a bunch of times, officially and unofficially. Yeah. But it's like three hours, three and a half hours long, isn't it? Like Three Amigos is technically it's Magnificent Seven, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is, isn't it? Yeah, and obviously, Star Wars has got so many connections to his films and stuff. So yeah, Hidden Fortress. Uh, you also got. I think. I think it's. I'm not sure it's the original Godzilla, but there is Godzilla that comes out this year. Yeah, that's the original. Yeah, it is the original. Yeah, I wasn't sure if there was an earlier one or not. So which no, is, the uh, the original Japanese version came out in '54, and then uh, it made its way to the US in '56, I believe. So that's right. uh, ground zero for Godzilla. Ground zero for Godzilla as well, which kind of relates to really. The film yeah. we're doing this this mm. week as well, like and similar sort of themes that are explored and stuff, and I think yeah, in like, very different ways, very different ways, <laughs> yeah. And I think it's worth mentioning as well that this this year, because we are talking about horror, is the kind of the last of the Universal monster movies come out with a uh, creature, creature from the Black Lagoon, yeah. and it's that properly that kind of, even though like it's really, really like horror changes in the nineteen fifties mm. at this point, and it's kind of it's kind of key that like it, it's kind of like sympathy that it comes out in the same year as as them i think mm-hmm. with like this kind of crossover from you know the kind of 30s 40s horror was was almost like fairy tale horror it was you know really based on like german expressionism really and and moving forward with that and kind of then after after kind of world war Two, no one was really interested in watching those kind of horror films anymore and uh, I think it took kind of horror a little bit of time to kind of find out, find its feet. And in the 50s, it finds giant bug films, <laughs> basically. <laughs> like, yeah, because I think the year prior was the Harry Hatton, well, not Harryhausen, but Beast from 20,000 yes. Fathoms, which... Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Any other films you think from this year, Will? Yeah, um, Hobson's Choice, David Lean's a good one. Mm, David I really Lean like from, that yeah. one. Yeah, um, yeah, it's really funny, actually. What else is there? Um... There's the Kurt Douglas two. Is it the Disney one? The uh, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That was like, but that's crazy. Like, if you look at that, like, 
that has like big monsters in it because it's got the big tentacle fight in there as well. Yeah. But obviously their emphasis on this, on that film, is is more the actors and the people they've got. That's where they spend all their money is like on the set. Do you know what I mean? It's like like in comparison to what we're talking about, where all the money probably went on those bugs. <laughs> yeah. All the money sure. on this went on Kurt Douglas and um Yeah, there's some of the big actors in that as well, isn't there? There's um James Mason as well and Peter Oh uh, yeah, sure. I seem to remember Seal being in that. He made friends with a seal or something. I think you said Seal. I was like, what do you mean? As in like... <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going through the uh, films of 1954 and I think Godzilla is the only one that's uh, popped up on my radar. Have you watched the like, the first Godzilla in a long time or got any memories of it? I feel like I should rewatch it. I've got no like... Just no like memory of it at all i feel like james has got that massive box set i do yeah um, (laughs) laura got me it for christmas it's bigger than godzilla himself Um, i think there is no decent way to store it like it's it doesn't fit on a bookshelf (laughs) it doesn't fit on a dvd shelf (laughs) it's just kind of perched on top of a bunch of other shit on the top shelf um but yeah it's uh it's pretty would you go custom custom case route yeah, I mean, I like the the Shout Factory ones where it's just a big box with individual like cases inside. That's that's my ideal box set, not this huge, fucking huge book monstrosity with the discs <laughs> embedded in the pages. Um, which I almost <laughs> had to like, yeah, I had to almost had to get a fork to pry out fucking uh, Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I. Uh, uh, I'm just looking at it now that it does look beautiful though. It is. It's, it does I mean, like graphics-wise, it looks amazing. The artwork's really beautiful and yeah, the films yeah, are immensely entertaining gorgeous. but fucking annoying <laughs> as, a, uh, <laughs> as an actual object. Um, but yeah, a few I years mean, ago... I mean, it's like um, 150 quid if you want to buy it, anyone. Yeah. <laughs> it ain't cheap. But yeah, the first one is, pretty, is massively different to all the others. Like They do eventually just descend into... Like SummerSlam and WrestleMania of like monsters just <laughs> fighting each other, but the first one is an incredibly like downbeat and dour film because it is about dealing with like nuclear attack and the fallout. Yeah, from that. sure. Yeah. So it's it's got a very downbeat tone and like a tragic love triangle subplot. It's uh, it is an amazing film though, and uh, the effects for the most part hold up. Uh, Cool. Great, great music, Akira Ifukubi, um, which they're still using. It was used in the uh, the last American one, um, King of the Monsters. Huh, no way. So, yeah. Um, like I say, that's the only one that's on my radar from the list of 1954 films. Oh, I, should, I, I think I'm going to try and watch Godzilla this week, then, actually. Kinda, like, I always like I mean, Toho's reaction to the first um, Godzilla remake because they were kind of really angry, <laughs> yeah. weren't they, at first? And then they watched it and they were thinking, well, this is nothing like Godzilla, so we've got nothing to really worry about now. Just yeah, really yeah. Totally. Well, somebody was pissed off because they put that Godzilla into uh, Godzilla Final Wars. Oh, doesn't he get like, like completely pwned straight away? Yeah, like Godzilla is going around the world fighting other monsters, and he's, uh, for some reason, he fights the 1998 Godzilla in Australia. <laughs> and all the other monsters are like full on brawls that last like five minutes, ten minutes. And he gets to uh, the American Godzilla and he just fucking like tail whips it and just immediately <laughs> knocks him out, knocks him into the Sydney Opera House and it explodes. It's barely worth the effort. <laughs> so somebody the, wasn't that too American impressed. remake is the weirdest 
weirdest remake. Like it's like they threw everything out about the character, the film, or everything to make that film. They, they just, just wanted to make shit. a Jurassic Park. That's what they wanted. Yeah. Like, well, Roland just... Emmerich has, has said that he didn't give a fuck about Godzilla. He just happened. He was yeah. offered it, and he wanted to make a giant monster movie. So he just kind of molded Godzilla around what he wanted to do. And what he wanted to do was really boring. <laughs> and what you also wanted to do was cast half of the uh, actors from The Simpsons. Oh yeah, that's true. And Matthew Bloody <laughs> Broderick. <laughs> Matthew Broderick, action star. <laughs> well, he, he had the scene, the ending of Ferris Bueller to, uh, um, you know, show off his action credentials, running in slow motion, jumping over stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Diving over fences. Uh, sorry, I'm just getting a bit of lag, I can tell. Um, okay, yeah. I um, guess we'll talk about them. Uh, like, so, yeah. Um, so, as I was saying, yeah, like, the kind of old... The old star horror movies that started to become, like, unpopular in kind of Hollywood and, and stopped making money and... There'd kind of been a boom of like sci-fi horror really after World War Two. Um, I got some stats that I think five hundred science fiction horror films or just science fiction films were made between like forty-eight and sixty-two. Like they were just kind of populating everywhere in in these kind of um in the kind of American kind of Hollywood film stuff. And also you kind of had this uh this um change in the way that like uh, films were distributed as well. So like. Uh, the idea of like a B movie, which is effectively what we would look at something like them is. B movies used to be a thing, and it wasn't until the nineteen fifties where they stopped being a thing. Like double features stopped being an element of like theatre going experiences in the nineteen fifties. So like the the whole product of making cheaper films that will just show before the main feature just kind of stopped happening. Yeah, so and them isn't technically a B movie, is it? Because it, it not in the traditional, traditional sense. sense. Yeah. But because now we ha- just think of the B movie as a bad movie, but it ne- wasn't necessarily that. It was they tended to just be genre films, didn't they? So they were either like westerns or sci-fi yeah. or noir films. Quite a lot of them in the thirties, forties B movies were like romance films. Yeah, it literally were like just the, the cheaper film. There was there was the A movie, which was the film that you were yeah. that was the main draw, and then the B movie, which was what was also playing yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And uh, what kind of did happen in the fifties is what you're saying. All oh, these, these, the term for a B movie started describing kind of more inexpensive genre films, mm-hmm. and um, particularly films that were driving people to driving, were ta- were were opening up in drive-in theaters, and that's what kind of changed in the nineteen fifties. Again, we talked about it uh, slightly before. It was the first time Hollywood were threatened by anything different, like the same way we're threatened by streaming. They were threatened by TV in the 1950s. Yeah. So the traditional kind of theatre going experience when people would go to the theatre to watch the fucking news, like that had stopped now. So they they were trying any gimmick they could to get people into cinemas. So that's where you got like... um, event cinemas so 3D presentations were a big thing can I tell you a fact about about cinema news yeah go on so um, my granddad was in Dunkirk not the film the actual (laughs) and my family didn't know he was back home until my my aunt was watching the news in the cinema and they saw him coming off the boat (laughs) no way 
and they were like, "Our dad's still alive," which is insane. <laughs> so that's insane. Yeah, can you imagine? Um, yeah, I can't follow that up, but like, uh, <laughs> yeah, there was even like so you'd got tons of silly gimmicks during the fifties as well to drive people into cinemas. And one of my favorites when I was looking all this up, there's a, there was a film called The Tingler. Starring oh, yeah. Vincent Price, William Castle, and uh, the the yeah William Castle film, yeah, and uh, the idea of that film was that there was a parasite in you that would vibrate when you're scared. So what they did in cinemas were hide little vibrating devices in some chairs in theaters, and they <laughs> they called this gimmick Percepto. So like you can go watch Percepto Vision or something like and and dare you feel the tingler or something kind well, of I mean, while watching. Is this it? is what, like, Matinee is all about, isn't it? The film with um, John yes, Goodman. John Dante film. Uh, yeah, Dante film. Yeah, it's uh, a film that was very much in my mind as we were watching them. Well, I mean, the film's called Mant that, yeah. <laughs> that he's showing. But also, I... like, as, I, as the film started up, I was like, it's going to be very difficult not to think about Mant as I'm watching this. And then... Uh, <laughs> Uh, William, uh, oh, what's his name now? William Gershit or something like that. Um, he, uh, William Shallot, sorry. Uh, he's in like half of Joe Dante's filmography, and he is in Mant as okay. well. He uh, he plays the dentist who uh, gives the guy the radiation that turns him into Mant, and he uh, <laughs> he's the. Uh, uh, ambulance driver who's dealing with the little girl at the beginning yes Uh, right yeah yeah that didn't help with the uh the man comparisons (laughs) i looked him up he's got like 230 credits anyway yeah i never said this week we're watching them i tell you gentlemen science has agreed that unless something is done and done quickly Man, as the dominant species of life on Earth, would be extinct within a year. I repeat, stay in your homes. Your personal safety, the safety of the entire city, depends upon your full cooperation with the military authorities. Yes, cities, nations, even civilization itself, threatened with annihilation because in one moment of history-making violence, nature, mad, rampant, wrought its most awesome creation. For born in that swirling inferno of radioactive dust were things so horrible so terrifying, so hideous, there is no word to describe them. We may be witnesses to a biblical prophecy come true, and thus will be destruction and darkness come up in creation, and the beast shall reign over the earth. Yes, the earth, the skies above and the seas below, 
infested by swarms of nightmare creatures, crueler, deadlier than the armored giants of prehistoric eras. Here is a wild, headlong flight into terror as the desert erupts with the grim battle for survival. Here is a fear-frenzied moment of suspense as mankind totters before a thing that multiplies faster than it can be killed. Here is a desperate plunge into the black depths of the earth where human courage challenges the brute force, the slashing jaws, the poison fangs that guard the subterranean nest where the beast spawns its terrible progeny. To all units, to all units, condition red. Grain 267 is the target area. Repeat, condition red. Grain 267 is the target area. We can't take a chance. It might poison the whole city. Them, it's directed by Gordon Douglas. Uh, it's very simply a nest of giant irradiated ants are discovered in the New Mexico desert, and it becomes like a it, it's, it becomes a national threat when two queens escape and they're establishing new nets new nests. So it becomes like a hunt for the queens. Really, I think that's about that's about the story. <laughs> Sounds pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think um as hot take i really enjoyed this film <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really fun like it's yeah really fun. it's like, like i was expecting it to be proper kind of edward kind of bad like almost mm. but it wasn't i thought it was quite earnest and i thought it's i yeah, just enjoyed it. it it's not badly acted it looks good you know and to be honest it's the really actual, well structured it's, the creature effects aren't as terrible as i mean obviously compared to today's standards they're not great but for 1954, they're pretty good. I mean, had they got Ray Harryhausen, maybe you could have got something a bit different. But um, I think, but, I think them being, I guess there were people in suits. I didn't look it up, but I'm guessing they're people in suits, or were they puppets? They no, were I think they, they had animatronics because there's a scene apparently where uh, some of the electronics were exposed, and on right. on DVD and Blu-ray and stuff and VHS, they've they digitally erased it or fixed it so that it, huh. you can't see the uh, the control mechanisms and stuff. Like I think it gave them at least whatever they did, the puppetry or the animatronics, it gave them some sort of kind of l- like lots of axis of movement and lots of movement on mm. screen compared to how I was kind of considering they would look i mean they do I shake guess. a lot <laughs> yeah they're basically just nodding their heads most of the time but uh you know that it was originally meant to be in 3d um and then they they cut the budget at the last minute so it ended up only being shot in 2d but everything is physical because that's the best way to shoot in 3d as jaws 3d will sure. test with its terrible fucking uh, well yeah i effects. mean oh god jaws 3d i mean look uh, at the opening credits it's got yeah. it's like bright red and blue and it's oh, like that i was... think they had to exploit they had to splice those into every single reel yeah wow. so that, that was it's, and i think that was amazing when i watched that i was like whoa that's yeah yeah <laughs> like a Same. little bit of color in a black and white frame i was like what the fuck 
And then yeah, same. Yeah, it really went. Oh, okay, we're here. <laughs> and there's a lot of flamethrower action, which is a direction yeah. of the camera. I think that was originally like storyboarded or whatever, or conceived to like sure. that was going to be like a 3D element that the, mm. the flames were coming toward you and stuff. I don't think there's another film that has this much flamethrower action until like Aliens. Yeah, or, yeah. or, or things. Things. proper flamethrowers as well. They're uh, they're huge, like bursts of flame that literally fill the entire yeah. frame it, this, they're not fucking around these are like movie flamethrowers these are actual I mean I loved it because they look like the Ghostbusters when they're running around in their one <laughs> I loved it <laughs> there's a bit at the end where he's crawling through like tunnels with the flamethrower like uh, gas on his back and I was like don't be doing that like, yeah. why? <laughs> like, like that's going to explode like <laughs> So very concerned with health and safety. I was the only person concerned with health and safety. <laughs> well, they were all stood in rows, firing machine guns over each other's heads as well. So that couldn't have uh, that, yeah, that yeah, yeah. Go sideways. But it's yeah, kind I, of interesting. Really One of the things I, I learned about this as well is they kind of thought it would be a um, recruitment tool for the U.S. Army, <laughs> and they were trying to encourage the U.S. Army to kind of t- to kind of take it on board to kind of get people to sign up after going to watch it because it was going to be such a a rip roaring, yeah, American army has beat the ants story or something like. I love how quickly people get on board that these giant ants. They're like, it's so matter of fact. Like, no one's like, what, what the fuck are you on about giant ants? What? What? No. Everyone's like, right, let's get these giant, like, giant ants. It's like, no one questions it or anything. It's just like so matter of fact. Well, how That's can you argue with Santa. that, Doctor? gives yeah. the best presentation and ants that's ever been given in a film. <laughs> oh, you, what, did you, what were you telling me? He was in Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah, he plays Chris Kringle in Miracle on 34th oh, wow. Street. <laughs> the, yeah, Edmund Gwen, who played Dr. Harold Medford. He, he was a very so he, like, Academy Award winner. Like, <laughs> he won the Academy Award for Chris Kringle. So. But yeah, I thought, I loved him in this film. I loved Edmund Gwynn in this film. I loved him, that helicopter scene. Yeah, I was going to say, him grumbling about it, having to use call signs was very funny. And then at the end, when yeah. he yeah, gives the microphone back to the soldier, he's just like, for the, just blows a yeah. raspberry yes. for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've already said over. Like, that's so stupid. <laughs> I really liked him. I felt it was just a real great character. Did you know Leonard Nimoy's in this as well? Yeah, I saw his little cameo. Yeah, yeah, he walks over and moans about the Texans a little bit, doesn't yeah. he? Like, <laughs> a young Leonard Nimoy. It's kind of cool to give some context as well about, it sounds silly, but big bug features. Like, uh, this is really the first of them. So mm. 1954 is the first time these kind of nuclear monster films happen, uh, which is, I run, well, like, like, as you say, with Godzilla as well at the same time mm. um most people read kind of these big big bug movies as being like metaphorical you have like ideas over the red scare like mm. you know there's fears of secret invasion or enemies like in your own home or in your own neighborhood kind of thing um often as well you can also see it as like a fear of science so like it's you know it's after the nuclear bomb happens you get fear of like untamed science is going to lead to kind of some sort of disaster to to attack like uh like the human race or something like that well they do spell um, that out at the very end with the with the chris Kringle's speech yeah with his speech yeah. <laughs> end quite clear at the end <laughs> i've got i'm putting a, a full stop on this like, <laughs> yeah. and um 
Yeah, you could say that it probably was about, you know, the nuclear terror that people started facing in the 50s and stuff like that. Like, um, And what always happens in these films as well is the science runs amok and the government gets called in and then it's like the the kind of efficient American government solves yeah. it. So, like, yeah. it's a team-up of the army and the scientists and, like, the kind of the government itself. How they, do you think Trump, Trump would have dealt day. with a giant ant attack? Well, he would have denied it, obviously. <laughs> we'll have it figured out by Easter. <laughs> yeah. It's not happening. You're lying. Like, California's a Democrat and, um, country, uh, so we don't need to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is... Another thing, and this might sound mad, but I want to propose this to you. Okay, um, yeah, well, on. I was I was researching all this and looking up kind of stuff about like uh, basically about I don't know insects is the best way to put it. <laughs> but um, in the kind of nineteen fifties, you get this idea that science is going to solve everything. It's a big thing about fifties technology and stuff like that, like a big thing about invention after post-war stuff. And one thing that starts happening in the nineteen fifties is the invention of pesticides. Um, on like a little war on insects because insects are kind of destroying crops, infiltrating houses ravaging the lands it's like a real world fear of these pests kind of attacking the way of life in America and I found a quote by a US politician in this time (laughs) in a book that he wrote that was pro-chemical pesticide called That We May Live and listen to this fucking quote Like this is about insects like The enemy is already here in the skies, in the fields and the waterways. It's dug into every square foot of our earth. It has invaded homes, schoolhouses, public buildings. It has poisoned the food and water. It brings sickness and death by germ warfare to countless millions of people every year. The enemy within these walking, crawling, jumping, flying pests destroy more crops than drought and floods. They destroy more buildings than fire. They are responsible for many of the most dreaded diseases of man and his domestic animals. Some of them eat or attack everything man owns or produces, including man himself. That's very drastic. (laughs) Yeah. Very drastic. (laughs) Well, I mean, like, in third world countries, you know, things, horrible things do happen with insects and stuff like that. Yeah, natural disasters. And it's something, weirdly enough, it's something that we still see nowadays. Um, a year won't go by without us having some massively hyped news story about an invasion, an insect oh, invasion. Oh, giant hornets or something like that. Yeah, murder, murder hornets. hornets. Yeah. yeah, yeah. African bees, uh, you know, killer bees. Like, uh, you always get news stories in the sun about Spanish spiders. Like, they're, they're, <laughs> and, like and a lot of we people... We watched arachnophobia, we know it that, can happen. If it can happen, like <laughs> a lot of these stories are kind of about immigration and they're kind of about immigrants, yeah. really. I mean, that's like, exactly what fears, I was thinking like... when you were reading that speech. I was like, this is basically like Trump's yeah. <laughs> opening speech about Mexico when he announced his, yeah. uh, his um, running for president. Let's uh, build a wall around the ants. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but it is like a lot of these invasions they were getting in the 50s as well were stuff like the Argentine ant, uh, the gypsy mops, uh, moth. Uh, fire ants like you get this foreign invasion of like of of pests as well um so one of the big things that gets developed in this time period and by the kind of 1960s it's and by this time it's proving to be they're questioning it but it's ddt as like uh as the pesticide so you get this idea that you've got this problem of insects we're going to invent this chemical weapon they start using it throughout the late 40s into the 50s and by the time of like 58 59 
people are starting questioning about the fact that tons of people are dying and and it's killing indiscriminately it's killing all the way through the food chain and stuff like that which echoes these kind of stories of like science run amok science not needing control needing the government to step in to kind of fix the science stuff um and i, I just my kind of thesis on like these bug movies isn't just about the fact that it's about nuclear terror it actually is about a kind of weird social terror this well, time yeah it's of, like, like the humanist versus the kind of like you know progress in technology like where do you kind of stand on that kind of yeah and science can't be relied on itself to win yeah like science needs like kind of the army or it needs something else like that and i just um so i decided to look up i don't know i, I look up the big bug movies basically from hollywood and it's really funny how this is the first one and then by 1957 and 58 there's so many of them. <laughs> but um, So like some examples, there's uh, The Beginning of the End in 1957 which is Isn't that a Smashing Pumpkin song? <laughs> the End is the Beginning <laughs> of the End. <laughs> so that's all about locusts like grasshoppers uh, getting giant. Uh, Tarantula in 1955 yeah. which the young Clint Eastwood. Eastwood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Black Scorpion obviously a scorpion uh, the deadly mantis uh, you can guess what that is again earth versus the spider which is 1958 uh one this film i watched a bit of this film it's called the monster from the green hell and uh oh, is that a, a killer tree uh, so the <laughs> no annoying like they call them wasps in the film but they're clearly beetles so I don't know what they, they think they're doing, but they, it's set in Africa and everyone's in blackface in that film. Like, oh, it's, no. it's, it's like, uh, there's the strange world of Planet X, and Planet X is actually Earth, which is the confusing part of that. But you, that's like uh, grasshoppers, roaches, beetles, and spiders. Um, there's an... I think this one's English, but I'm not sure. There's the monster that challenged the world. And it's uh, like a giant mollusk or something. I was, I was struggling to work out what this one That's was. That's a Roger Corman like. one, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. Uh, there's Attack of the Giant Leeches. Leeches. And, uh, and um, Meza of the Lost Woman, which is spiders. But like, but then you get others like Naked Jungle is, is ants again, but they're not giant. They're just huge swarms of ants. And then you get stuff like uh, The Fly, uh, The mm -hmm. Wasp Woman, An Incredible Shrinking Man, which are about insects as well, but not in the same way. And really then, the only kind of insect you get in the in latter than that is in 61, you get Mothra come into like the Godzilla films, which is the only kind of giant insect which has like a name and like mm. an, an, a personality or something. <laughs> like. So yeah, it, yeah, long credits opens up. Uh, and it kind of opens up with like um, it's you get two Mexico, New Mexico's kind of state troopers, don't you? Ben Peterson and Ed Blackburn, and they discover like a little girl just wandering aimlessly in the desert. Well, I think there's an, there's airplanes overhead, and they kind of spot oh, yeah. it, don't they? Yeah, they're kind of searching. Um, I'm assuming because somebody's reported um, that there's a girl wandering in the desert. They seem to be looking for her. And I, I, I did immediately think of last week we watched The Hitcher, Hitchhiker, sorry. Um, mm. And just the fact that it's two, two deserts immediately, but like shot completely differently. Yeah. But same, similar car though, the black kind of... Very similar car, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so they pick her up and they take her to a trailer uh, where like the plane has recently spotted and at the trailer they find like 
a bit of fabric and a doll head that, to indicate that the girl came from there. But the trailer's been like torn apart. Uh, there's it's like the walls have been torn out the front, and um, but no money was taken. That's that's the big thing. They couldn't work out why they'd do it. Just the sugar. Just the sugar is eaten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I loved. <laughs> there is a giant hole in the side, which they always keep pointing out. It came from the outside. What is it? It was. Yeah, it's been torn, torn open rather than yeah, busted, out busted out. Or yeah. I think they said they say yeah. Uh, there's also some weird animal tracks, which they have no idea what they are. Uh, so they kind of call in the kind of rest of the troops, and this is when your Ramblers man turns up, and they <laughs> take like a they take a uh, plaster cast of the the foot and stuff like that, and uh, and um. Oh, that the, noise. The noise. Yeah. That noise. It's. Um, I think it's like some sort of tree frog. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, gone. Uh, the sound, the sounds the giant ants emit in the film were the calls of bird-voiced tree frogs mixed with the calls of wood thrush. So there you go. Oh, uh, a hooded warbler and the red-bellied woodpecker. Okay, so that's really weird. That's really weird. It's a, it's a good noise. It's a yeah. kind of a, it fills the kind of it fills my ears anyway. Like yeah, like, watching it on headphones uh, when that noise yeah. was on, you you're definitely aware. Yeah. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> and she kind of shoots up in the uh, the bed at that point, where then she no one notices her react, do they? Yeah, I thought that yeah. was kind of creepy. I thought so too. Yeah, I yeah. Thought, I felt like I've heard that noise in other films, like since obviously probably referencing this, but I can't think what film it would be. But unless it became a stock sound, then and well, they used the Wilhelm scream about eight times. Oh, these they lose do, yeah. so many times. <laughs> it's apparently. It wasn't that many years before that it was the first like, ever use of yeah, it. Yeah, it was like two years before or something. So this might be one of the first actual examples of that being reused as, as the thing. I have no idea. It's probably Yeah, so the first film it was in was the Distant Drum, Distant Drums, and it was three years before, so it was like from 51. Yeah. Um. So uh, what kind of happens then? Like, Oh, they go and check out the general store, don't they, with Gramps? Yeah, and uh, and the again the the the, uh, the store's been torn out, and uh, I noticed the radio there was talking about unstable geopolitics, which I thought was a bit weird, um, to kind of have like in the background really, um, kind of they talk about um they talk about science wiping out insect-borne diseases, which I thought was kind of weird that that was what the radio is talking about and, and maybe they're setting through. up the motivation for the ants mm. yeah that's what, yeah exactly yeah <laughs> like the war on insects um but yeah after a quick look around they find a gun that's been torn in half and um gramps dead in the cellar they, they again the no money's been taken from the till but the sugar's been torn into and all eaten and, and covered in tiny ants as well giving you a hint what's coming <laughs> <laughs> uh, again they hear the wit like don't they leave that's where they leave blackburn there and as like he's on his own, that weird pulsating sound happens, and he wanders out to investigate it. And uh, you just hear him firing his gun as the sound kind of grows like faster and louder, really. Mm. So at this point, I was well on board. I was really enjoying like it looked the kind cool. Of like the actual the actual set of that like shot uh, shop looked. I thought it looked pretty cool. Like it was all destroyed and ripped open. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it's, it didn't look like a low-budget film. I mean, you got no, all no, these I don't think no. so. actual B-movies that are coming out, like um, 
Yeah, it's uh, not like they just used one set of them just in an office the whole time. You know, yeah, like very... a lot of these sci-fi, 50s sci-fi movies are. Um, it looks like they they put the time and the effort in and they actually cared what they were making. It wasn't just tossing off a, a giant ant movie. Mm. Yeah, and like especially because it takes like 30 minutes for the ants to show up as well. They, they do like a lot of setting up mm. um, and setting up the mystery and setting up the story. It's not just... You know, just whatever, two minutes in, get the first, you know, giant monster on the film and get people... Yeah, I was kind of surprised by that because, you know, like like I was saying, it's it's not an expensive film. So they've got to be kind of judicious with their use of the the ants. But usually you have like mm. a big ant attack up front and then wait a while to reintroduce yeah. them. But they went, they went for the mystery of it rather than uh, to play all the cards up front. And uh, yeah, it's just unusual. I thought that was a kind of a more modern device than something that came from the... Yeah, mid fifties, and I wonder if it's a fact because they were the first people doing like if this is the first like mm. big bug film, they were a bit maybe not worried to put the the giant insect up front, but actually just wanting to hold it back a little bit more mm. to get people excited to see to see the special effect or something. Um, so later on, uh, they get back. They're in the kind of police offices, and this is where we introduce the FBI agent, which is Ellison, who uh. Uh, the actor uh, Ellison would later be in Gunsmoke. He's what people. Uh, James Arness. Thank He's you. also yeah, James uh, the thing in the original The Thing. Oh really? Yeah. Uh, cool. I swear he's the basis for the FBI agent in The Iron Giant. He looks the way he stands and the like the way his suit like drapes yeah. on him. He's the way they draw the FBI agent in um, The Iron Giant looks very similar. I agree. I think that's a really, uh, that's a really, yeah, I, it really reminds me of that, the same. Um, he inter- he says, basically, he tells you who, he tells you that, um, which, it was an FBI agent in the trailer, wasn't it, who died. Sorry, I got it wrong. Ellis is the guy who died, and, the, and we introduced to Robert Graham. That's that's what I mean. Like, And Robert Graham is the FBI agent that we're working with, and the guy who died was Ellis, and he was on vacation with his wife and son and daughter, but they hadn't found them. The only person they'd found was the girl. Um, they also mentioned that Blackburn's gone missing. And then the coroner comes in, who's a great character in this film, to talk about um, Gramps's, how Gramps died. And uh, he has this great way, like he could, a great line of something like he could have died one or five ways. <laughs> and he's, it's, he goes, his neck and back were broken, his chest was crushed, his skull his skull was fractured, and there was enough formic acid in him to kill 20 men. Well, the, the <laughs> line that really made me laugh, because they keep saying Johnson all the time, and because I'm five <laughs> years old, it kept making me laugh. But, <laughs> but the, 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 the doctor comes in and goes, finish the autopsy on the old man's Johnson, and I was just <laughs> wetting myself for that line. Um... <laughs> Then, like, uh, they there's a bit of a messing around here. Basically, the, the FBI agent tells them to send the animal track off to their department, like, to back back to their head head at the FBI. And after a while, you hear that the uh, Department of Agriculture is sending, like, the world's greatest myrmecologists <laughs> over. Uh, so it's that's Dr. Harold Metford, who's Edmund Green, and his daughter, Dr. Pat Metford. Uh, and they're going to assist in the investigation. And they're very cagey about what their theory is. They won't <laughs> tell anyone what it is. Like, 
that was very funny the way they just flat out refused like nope we'll tell you when we're ready yeah shut my, <laughs> my favorite line is though is when the fbi like he won't call her a doctor so she oh, goes yeah. if the term doctor uh, offends you upsets you or bothers you you can call me pat so then he's like all right pat <laughs> <laughs> They do. They they introduce her by sexy gams coming down from the plane. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, and they're all, just, all like, mm, mm, mm. yeah, they are they're all just lined up going, oh. Turn into a carry on. I swear she's English at this point as well in the film, or British. <laughs> and then slowly she does a Carrie Fisher in Star Wars and slowly becomes like American. She's got a wondering accent. Yeah, she just picks it up easy. Is it that line here that the FBI agent says that goes, if she's the type of doctor that takes care of sick people, I think I've got a fever prequel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Where's your doctor, fever? It's in my pants. It's right here. It's, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's the 50s. <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, well, they, at they least got... it's not as bad as the 70s. So. Yeah, I was going to say, they got past all of that shenanigans pretty quickly. And then, uh, you know, they... Uh, I mean, maybe not as entirely equal footing as the men, but you know, they they stop giving her shit like that. Yeah, and yeah. she she stands I think up. She's for herself. quite a strong mm. character. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Later on, she's very proactive and gets in on the action and stuff. Fuck you! I'm going I in can, the cave. I I was surprised how, and I don't know if this is a code thing or something. I was surprised how lack of a kind of relationship they had between the FBI agent and her. Like I I thought they would have been more explicit about them, kind of. Oh, like a Getting romance together. thing. Yeah, yeah. There was definitely the undercurrent that they were, mm. you know, a romance was forming, but it was only just on the surface, really, of the film, I thought. And I was just a little bit surprised there wasn't more of a thing about that. You know, when he's... I could imagine him going right at the end when he's marching off to the sewers, Herbie going like, no, you've got to stay, kind of thing, like, or something. But they didn't do any of that, really. Everything was very matter-of-fact. Mm. Well, I was going to say, Dr. Metford, he's got a few theories. No, so he yeah. starts asking about where the A-bomb was exploding nine years ago and, and the location of it with the first kind of trailer. And he's he exposes, which I think is an awesome scene, when he waves like the formic, formic acid under the girl's nose. Mm. And uh, she kind of tears her from like a catastonic s- state and she starts just like screaming and yelling about them and stuff like that. Well, that's a good scene with the kid and she like runs into the corner and stuff. and then Yeah, yeah. I thought it was really effective. And the police officer is obviously a bit more mater- maternal, I don't know, paternal, and kind of like, looks after her. And, um, yeah, so that's when he's like, I know what's going on, but I'm still not telling anybody. So they go to the, <laughs> the, they go to the trailer site, and this is kind of when I started falling in love with Dr. Metford, because he was very happy about his goggles. <laughs> couldn't put them on properly he couldn't put them on but when he got them on they he work better pleased. when they're on your eyes oh yes they do oh yes yes they do <laughs> that's very good this is like, <laughs> um, and then at the Ellison campsite Pat wanders off following those those weird tracks and as the weird noises encounter there's a, a giant eight foot long ant kind of appears above her like I really love that show and... I thought it was yeah. really well done like they don't bring in any scary music or score or anything it's literally just this giant ant just peering over the hill well it's like again it's like that cheap special effect that sound is like a real mm. it's like the jaws doing it yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. that kind of like you know with that when that sounds around that the, the even if you don't see them, you know the answer there. Mm. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. And it's it's gets to be like a threatening noise, even if it sounds a bit weird when you first hear it, but it starts becoming a more kind of scary kind of sound, I thought. Like um But I love I love the the look of it above her looming over on the ridge and stuff. I just thought that was really cool. And um and just more effective than I thought it was gonna look. I really thought the ants looked quite good in this, to be honest. Like little Slightly less questionable about the wing dance at the end of the film, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is when a big gunfight ensues, and, uh, and <laughs> all of a sudden he pulls out a machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> he goes back to the car where he keeps his Uzi and <laughs> comes back and shoots it in the antenna. Yeah, yeah aim for the antennae. Like, yeah, aim for the other antennae. <laughs> antennae. Yeah. Heard- I've never heard anyone overpronounce antenna. <laughs> like, um, yeah, so they, they, they what? How do they do? They just shoot it to death, or do they blow it up? Is no, it they just, no, they just shoot it? it? Yeah. I was half expecting some sort of bug autopsy thing, but no, didn't get. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But he's just pleased. He already had his theory, and he was sat, and he's now he's happy that he was right. And they, like, uh, how quickly though to have your theory, and then it's answered within. <laughs> two minutes like <laughs> and uh, he explains well, that's why he's that... the best myrmetologist that's true yeah myrmetologist myrmetologist <laughs> which is a word I'd never heard before I have to say no, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, they um yeah so he explains now how like like they they, they are mutated from the first atomic bomb test um and that what we need to do is actually find their nest because there's going to be a nest of giant ants um we get a lot. This is one of many scenes in this film where there is a lot of exposition about ants. <laughs> <Bad> exposition. <laughs> like, and they tell you about how they kill and that they inject acid with their stingers and they communicate through those weird noises where he can hear and stuff like that. And, uh, oh, is this the David Attenborough bit where he's kind of... That's, it's not the slideshow. Which I loved, but it's just it's just a very long bit when he's explaining a is lot about... Is this the about... bit in the hell in, when they're in the plane now? Just around that, because he's it's he goes very he gets very biblical. He's like the beasts shall rule over the earth. <laughs> we are we witness, witnessing like, a prophecy come true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like it made me go like some giant ants. I'm not totally sure we're talking <laughs> apocalypse right now. <laughs> like, but but that's when they order the the helicopter search. Yeah, and you get I love the scene in the helicopter with them just fighting over the radio and just say over. I just said it and say it again. Say it again. And then. <laughs> He goes like, you have to say over and out, it's a rule. <laughs> the guy's like, rules? <laughs> it's a stupid rule. <laughs> yeah. my, fa- my favourite bit in this is when the pilot, like, he goes, Doc, how many how many of these ants do you reckon there are, these giant ants? And he's like, I don't know, hundreds or thousands? But we've got to keep it secret, you can't tell anyone. And the pilot's like, <laughs> you know, you're ordering the army, how are we meant to keep this secret? And then you said there's hundreds and thousands of them. And then the Doc goes, he scolds him, and he's like, there may not be that many. <laughs> it's like, well, make up your mind. Is it hundreds of thousands or is it? <laughs> and yeah, so we do. I loved this shot. I loved it so much. So they find the nest, and uh, there's a giant ant comes out of it that has a human rib cage. <laughs> it's a good shot, though. He throws it, it pans down, it like lands right next to a skull. Yeah, there's some, loads of skulls and the gun, the, the cop's gun isn't there and stuff yeah. like that, and like it's all the missing. Yeah, I felt there. like even, even though the rib cage was a bit questionable, I thought having this huge pile of human remains was a bit, you know, kind of graphic for a '50s film. I don't, I don't know how yeah. many films would go there at that point. Yeah, considering uh, the film that we watched the week before, The Hitchhiker, they couldn't even say they 
they weren't allowed to say six deaths. They had to say three. They were censored just <laughs> saying how many people had died. I loved it. I, I thought it was... I just kind of... I didn't expect it, and it made me love the film. Like, it's just a horror <laughs> film. I was like, all right, we're into it now. Yeah, we got some human bones. Like, yeah, yeah, they're not <laughs> fucking around. Yeah, like, <laughs> and again, we got a bit of exposition. That they're not, they can't bomb it. They want to bomb it at the hottest part of the day because the ants will be in their nest and stuff like that. Like, uh, So, um, this... Yeah, they go bloody wild. They uh, they fire like uh, they're firing like rockets at it from afar, and then it's dropping cyanide in. And... Yeah, <laughs> then none of them are wearing ear defenders. They'd all be fucking <laughs> deaf, <laughs> and they look like they're enjoying themselves so much by firing all these. Yeah, they really do. <laughs> yeah. There's that. There, there's some lines here. I think the the FBI agent says like they they talk about the nest being saturated with cyanide gas now, and um. I think I think it's the it's the cop of the FBI agent goes like, boy, if I if I can still raise an arm when I get out of this place, I'm going to show you how saturated I can get. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like okay, the the army have been drafted now, but you see two or three army men. That's it, and they draft the copper in to be to like hold a bazooka. <laughs> I was going like, to say, like, like they don't get any more like officially trained individuals, and it's literally like the the local cop and the FBI agent <laughs> firing these bazookas. I love how the local <laughs> cop it just becomes he's the ant expert. He's the expert blowing up ants now, so he has to be able to do it all. Like, See, this well, this made me thought it was a lot cheaper than it was because literally we've only had like six cast members in the entire film up until this point. It's not until like the last twenty minutes where they get some more people in. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. This is kind of I like this bit because Pat stands up for herself here, like. Yeah they're telling her that she can't go in the nest and she's like you know like look we ain't got any time for you to give you a crass course like let's just get on with it kind of thing so they descend in to kind of well, no hang on before they descend in they, they go over they look over the after they've thrown or fired all these bazookas and shit they like they peer in and just the one ant just peers out going hey up let's go and they just start shooting him again <laughs> There's a bit when is that when they just fl- are flame throwing him again? Like I love the flamethrowers in this film. I don't like, know if this was the flamethrower just yet. I think this is now the flamethrower yeah. now because they're just. I love this whole set of them going through the um, the mm. nest. The yeah, nest. yeah, I loved it too. And that yeah, isn't the that bit where like fog and everything going through the bottom of the set. It, it looked really cool. Well, this is definitely With... like aliens or like uh, mm. you know uh, the thing or like you know those kind of films. It really reminded me of aliens. Definitely. Yeah, massively. Like, and there's a bit, there's a bit where like you know it's got there's dead bodies all over the floor, and then the kind of wall kind of crumbles down, and there's two more of them in there, um, which and they just go and start like flame. But the, the, yeah, that's when they bust out the flame. How are these yeah. still alive? Oh, the original explosions must have caused uh, the <laughs> <laughs> the opening to close up, and I don't know. kind of explanation when I didn't need it. Yeah, I was like, I was okay. <laughs> Like, um, but then they find that uh, further in, they find evidence that two queens have a have a hatched and escaped um, to establish new colonies. And uh, again, we get a lot of a lot of description about ants and how they breed and like, like the queens have gone on their wedding flight. Um, <laughs> and he says this great line here that the. Um, we haven't seen the end of them. We we have only had a close view of the beginning that may be the end of us. <laughs> is the wording of it yeah like, it was really slick 
Really slick. I can't imagine them being given like sa- even saying it. Then I'm reading it was difficult. <laughs> <laughs> like, um. So yeah, they they kind of that's when they take it to high government now, and they're they're enlisting kind of like the government now to say that there's um, ants out there, and that they're kind of looking for clues about ants. But um, this is where Nimoy's uh, cameo is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They basically got over. like uh, people monitoring the. Uh, the wires for the, all the news uh, news stations about uh, what is it like miss, missing people, um, multiple murders, and UFOs. <laughs> and this is what it says. So it's got number one: kid, kidnapping missing persons, unsolved murders, alleged suicides, migrations of wildlife, thefts of sugar syrup sweets. <laughs> strange phenomena as flying saucers, strange odors, high-pitched sounds, unnatural things alive or dead. Yeah, that's a good list. Yeah, there you, go. <laughs> you would have thought that the last couple would have raised some eyebrows, but they yeah. like, oh, well, we've got a UFO report here, we better take it upstairs. This is when Medford gives his uh, brilliant, brilliant slideshow about ants. <laughs> it goes on forever, like... A very detailed explanation in the middle of the film about how ants live and nests. And this is a wonderful picture of nests. Like, and, and look at these. Apparently, they- it was longer. Really? Yeah. Um, I was reading about this. Uh, they had to. They physically had to cut a scene out of the negatives because they had a whole section about how the radiation affected the ants and mutated them. And they used the name of a real scientist who oh. uh, objected to being associated with it. So they had to. Pay a settlement and then literally splice the scene out of the negative. Couldn't so that's they just a lost dubbed scene over there. a fake name. Well, you'd have thought, but you know, yeah, that's where they did it. I like this bit because again, he claims that humanity is going to be extinct in a extinct in a year unless the Queen Ants are found. <laughs> like, I'm thinking, sounds a bit extreme there, a little bit extreme. Like, <laughs> it's like he's he's a scientist making sure he's getting his grant money from the government. But, um. Yeah, so yeah, because of Leonard Nimoy's tip about a guy seeing UFOs shaped like giant ants, I believe, is the report. Yeah, yeah. yeah because it's um, the 50s, you immediately assume it's a spaceship, but it's shaped like yeah. ants for some reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. as a, it's a giant ant, but no, it's a spaceship <laughs> yeah, that looks like It's a like spaceship an ant. shaped like a giant ant. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've been watching The X Files recently, and it's an episode. Ah, oh, fuck, I've forgotten what the name of the episode is, but it's got cockroaches in it, and it's got a woman in it who. Um, she believes that UFOs are flying cockroaches that form the shape of a UFO. <laughs> War of the Cockroaches, I think it's called. That's the one, yeah. The the co- that's the one, yeah. yeah. Doctor Bambi. Oh yeah. Uh, I need to do an X Files rewatch at some point. Like, uh, so this bit, you get the insane. Well, he's not insane. He's just a guy who's locked in a insane hospital or something a sanity like who saw it and they go to interview him about his about what he's seeing or what he saw and i just thought the fbi is a, a fucking shithead because <laughs> they oh, know yeah, he's massive. not mad but they tell the doc and the doctor even goes he's not mad mm. but they tell him that they have to keep him locked up for government reasons <laughs> like we'll they tell do you say when he's that better. Yeah, they do say that we'll tell we'll tell you when he can be released. So they're not going to keep him in there like forever. <laughs> but if they let him go, it wouldn't be like everyone just immediately believe him and know, know yeah. that there's giant ants. I just thought that's a shitty thing. That's a 1950s thing. <laughs> yeah, but well, they believed Orson Welles talking about um true, true about the aliens from Mars. 
So. That actor, by the way, is Davy Crockett, the guy in the institute. Well, he got Disney's the he David got Crockett. the part from because of this. Yeah, which is insane. I think, like, in a good way. Uh, <laughs> the next one, uh, you then get the Coast Guard report, and I loved the. I loved oh, the, that was a great scene. Yeah, the ants on the ship, like busting it down and stuff like that, and the guy with the bloody hands doing. So, that. hang on, are the ants supposed to be using the ship as their nest? Is that what the yeah. idea? <laughs> Apparently the door was open for like a day and a half as they were loading it. Yes. And <laughs> they snuck it. <laughs> yeah, basically yeah, they, they say it, it would be quite uh, easy for an ant to slip in unnoticed. <laughs> like these are fucking 15 foot ants. Yeah. <laughs> but I like that scene though. That. And like... how big is the hole on the ship? Because from the, the shot, like from the set of the ship, it looks like a little fucking tugboat, fishing boat thing. Yeah, because it's like giant compared to the cabin. Yeah. Yeah. Is it like a one-shotter, though, where it's just all carnage behind someone who's yeah, on the yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a guy hitting, like, the the Morse code with, like, a bloody That's hand. It. Yeah. I thought it was really cool, but there was no way those ants had hidden on that shit. <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they then, after that, they don't think they, they say that they destroy the freighter, like, the US Navy just blows up the, shre- the, the freighter so it kills off the ants and everyone mm. else on board and something. Um, and then the third attack is a large sugar theft at Rail Yards. <laughs> sugar theft. <laughs> um, and you get a cast of characters at this point that they're interviewing. Um, you get like the drunk guy in, and who's claiming like he saw like giant ants with tiny airplanes or something else. I don't think know. he's drunk. I assume he's um, a, a patient. I'm sure. No, they they said they had they had a a traffic. They arrested four people that night. A traffic stop and three drunken disorderlies. And they interviewed the two drunks. um, But they say how long have you been here? How long have been in? They go five months. So I assume. I think he said they said he'd been in and out. Like he he constantly ends up in the hospital to dry out. Um, But yeah, he kept going back and forth between asking not to be enlisted and asking to be enlisted. From oh, the yeah. uh, from the army guy, it's very weird. But yeah, <laughs> and then you get the death of the father uh, in like a car. He's got like he's missing an arm, I think, and his two young sons are missing, and they decide that this all took place in the beautiful Los Angeles River. Um, yeah, I re- I really liked all this stuff. Like I I feel the stuff in the desert is the strongest part of the film. Yeah. Um, and it does kind of lose a bit of steam in, in this whole middle section. Well, because it it's really very much similar to the other scene. Like, the scene when they go in the nest the first time is very similar, really, isn't it? Mm. Well, it's it, it just takes a while. Like, they're just basically going around California <laughs> interviewing people who might have seen ants. Uh, yeah. And then once yeah. they get back they're into... They're just killing... To- they're just, like, padding it, really, aren't they? Just- yeah. I mean, the, yeah. the characters and the actors are all very entertaining, but it does, it, like I say, it loses a bit of steam at this point, but then we get into the sewer system, and it really takes off again. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it was, it was like, a bit meandering for a while, and it just, it was kind of a bit annoying for that reason, because you just wanted to be yeah. like, come on, keep the energy up, really. I always <laughs> think of Greece, though, when they're, like, driving on the embankment, not the, you know, the kind of those, like, man-made sides of the... The Los Angeles River. Really? I always yeah. think of Terminator 2. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, good point. I always think of Terminator I, 2. I went to Volcano. 
it's such a weird movie location. It looks so horrible, like because it's basically just an open sewer or something. Yeah, like. yeah. I mean, it's called the LA River, but I've never seen it with any water in it. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, it's yeah, and it kind of picks up at this point. So they this is when they call call in martial law, and um, you actually see the film's only black actor at this point. He's a he's a shoe shine that looks at a TV for one second, um, and then uh yeah so and then all the army turn up to dive into these kind of storm drains that, under the city, and it just gets you know it's very aliens again loads of loads of people heading in with flamethrowers and rocket launchers and multiple cars of those little jeeps piling into the sewer systems. It reminded me of get, um, alligator because it's a very similar scene where all the cops go into the sewers to flush out the alligator they all go in different entrances and they're trying to flush them out and it's very similar to this yeah because they're all going in different ways aren't they they're all mm. like exploring around to try and find them um more importantly they're, they're trying, looking for kids they're the two kids they're, they're, there's a weird hope that they might be alive which mm. is weird <laughs> Because yeah, they haven't no given evidence. any indication up until this point that the ants might take hostages. Yeah. They hear tapping, yeah. they hear tapping, and they're like, "We found the kids." And it's like, <laughs> you hear yeah, 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 yeah. You, the... you instantly think we found the kids. Yeah, because <laughs> for some reason the mom's got to allow to listen in on the radio as well. Well, yeah, because the 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 the, the army is saying they're just going to gas the whole um, sewer system, but then that would have effects. It, well, one, it would kill the kids that if they're still alive in there. Yeah. And don't they say it'll have minimum effect on the outside or something like yeah. that? Yeah. And they can't just... That's the, what they keep pointing out in this film, is they can't just bomb everything because they need to find out if the queens have hatched and yeah. if they need to be looking for more ants. So they need to kind of see the hatchlings and stuff like that. Uh, um, I was surprised by this bit, and I did really like it. But like the the kind of our hero cop guy Peterson, he crawls into these like tunnels and finds these kids, and as he's kind of saving them, he gets attacked by a, a giant ant in his mandible and kind of torn and shook around and and dies. And I didn't expect him to die yeah. at all, and that actually did did take me by surprise. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I thought it could go either way with the kids as well. Like, yeah. Even though- <clears throat> um, they introduced the idea that oh the kids might be alive they're probably going to be alive but there'd been that much carnage and like death at, uh, at that point I thought it could go either way they might just find these two little tiny pristine skeletons somewhere in the sewer system yeah little yeah, yeah. Cages. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't uh, it's just a Hollywood thing that they were alive yeah. but you know but um, yeah at this point the ants now just swarm don't they Mm. Um, and so all the other soldiers turn up and the FBI agent Graham turns up and they all fight it up with just so much fireworks and explosives <laughs> that it was just kind of actually a bit insane to me how much explosives were on Yeah, there. they just bring down half of LA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's like a hundred Wilhelm Squirms going on <laughs> as well. Like... Oh, it's worse on the boat. That's when you hear them the lows. Wah, yeah, yeah. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, rather unsurprisingly, the tunnel collapses behind Graham because <laughs> like a hundred people blowing it up, and uh, he's able to fend them off with his machine gun, just just long enough to be saved again. Uh, I thought yeah, this I thought was quite effective was... horror. Yeah, I thought that was really cool because it's it's proper like close quarters like that. Yeah, he is, we've we've seen it. 
we've seen the ant mandible tear people up and he's it's getting right in there and again it's because it's it's proper puppetry it's not like an optical effect that's matted in you, you're seeing this giant ant head yeah. coming towards him and he's clearly ill prepared for it because it's just the way they're setting fire to these actual physical props or animatronics mm. it's, it's quite impressive as well yeah i thought that because apparently there was only two they had that actually worked so that's why you never see more than two move on screen at once or something mm. Mm. but they must have had countless amounts of uh you know, frames built to burn because there were so many ants burning in this film. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what but, the truth is about that, but they definitely burned yeah. more than two or three. Apparently, they were painted green and purple. Mm. Oh, just to show up that way on the black and white film, or is that well? Because they originally were going to be color, right. weren't they? I, I well, have you yeah, seen the, the, photo, the photos of the Adams family set from the original no. TV show? No, it's, it's bright pink. Is it? Because, yeah, because they were shooting in black and white, so they were going for colours that it's had what, a higher contrast. Uh, yeah, and looked better in black and white. But yeah, then they, you, you see a colour photo of it, and it looks it's like some god. It looks like uh, what's his face, Liberace's living room. <laughs> well, it's like the original um, uh, Superman suit for George Reeves. It was kind of like bra- like shades of brown. Yeah, it's weird. It must have been so weird to wipe that from your mind when acting in like a pink like world <laughs> not to just maybe it just made your performance louder I don't know like uh, yeah like I say I, I really like this little bit of horror I liked that you know that it was kind of hard for him to fight off the ants with his mm. machine gun and it took a little bit of time for them to kind of save him so and because you'd watch the cop die as well there was a little bit of me thinking or oh, maybe he won't survive as son and that was really working for me but then like the cops come and they find like the newly hatched queens and they quickly destroy them with flamethrowers they don't mess around with their amazing little tiny wings that never would have made them fly. <laughs> <laughs> like, you could just, just tell they just them. stuck those on the ones they already had and they're like Absolutely. yeah 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 but um yeah like the film just ends at that point with that stark warning as you were saying they as they're casually kind of destroying the, the ants the um the FBI agent kind of muses that, um, well, if these were created with the first atomic bomb, what about all the other atomic bomb tests? <laughs> and uh, the old Doctor Medford then warns him about, like, well, was it? What does he say? Some like, when when man entered the atomic age, he opened the door to a new world. Mm-hmm. What we may eventually find in that world, nobody can predict. <laughs> and like, I always like the philosophizing the at the at the end of these films. Yeah, some moral kind of message to take. Yeah, home, I thought they were going to go the um, the God botherer route, like uh, War of the Worlds, but they uh, <laughs> yes, when they started talking yeah. about the biblical prophecies, but yeah, they pulled it back uh, at the end and went this kind of just like horror of science route. And, yeah, and you kind of even when like cause Pat meets up with Graham again, and I was expecting some sort of like yeah, you made it and hug, but there isn't any of that at all. Like really, she, they just like <laughs> they just kind of have a nice chat around the burning ants. Like. <laughs> <laughs> so like anything I missed or anything like uh, like any other thoughts or uh, not from me? I just enjoyed it. I just thought it was I thought it was good fun. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, a lot of these films are just built around the effects and you're just waiting. Like, you know, like we were talking about the uh, uh, themes in horror where it went from the universal monsters to the giant bugs and then to the slashers in the 80s. And 
a lot of the time it's just mm. waiting for these prickish characters to die in the most hideous ways because you hate them all but all the characters were very endearing and enjoyable and even if there wasn't giant ants yeah. uh, they're entertaining to watch anyway and that's that's always the best kind of monster movie like tremors like you don't need the giant worms because all the characters are really Absolutely. fun to watch yeah mm. yeah that's a really good point i was really pleasantly surprised by it i really was like it's really it, i found it just really enjoyable to watch really fun and i enjoyed the kind of i enjoyed the animatronics or the puppetry or whatever it was out of the ants and i enjoyed like the, kind of the way it was the shot shaking and, <laughs> yeah i just enjoyed the look of it you know i enjoyed watching it it was i'd had a good time with it so i was kind of surprised by that actually or at least surprised at how how enjoyable it was like, but it's like sci-fi and film like Date, like the very first films are ever made, like actual narrative based were sci fi. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like the George Melies that actually had like a a story. So yeah. it's you know, like sci fi goes back right to the beginning of cinema. Yeah. And Horror it's crazy well. how it wasn't like, like Frankenstein, one of the first narrative films, an adaptation of Frankenstein. Probably, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. all these it's magicians all the who like who are making all these like special effects films because it's using all techniques they use on their stage and they kind of put them on mm. film and stuff like that. And um, it's crazy though, like you get to like the fifties and they're kind of regarded as like kind of I wouldn't say throwaway, but they're like they're the, they're as we said they're the B picture, they're the B movie. They're made to be bad or they're I don't know they're enjoyed because they're bad. But and it's mm. still to. To this day, it, it, I find it weird that sci-fi is still kind of looked down a little bit. Maybe I know, I know, like it's in terms of blockbuster, it's massive. But in terms of like recognition with the Oscars and stuff, it's I don't know where oh, I'm yeah. going with this. But do you know, yeah, what, I mean? know what I mean? I think I think my kind of thing was is I haven't watched a ton of old horror films, especially mm. this kind of horror. Mm. Um, well, do you consider it horror or sci-fi? Like, what do you? I don't know horror sci-fi. It's the same. It's what it was. It was a horror film in this year when it came out. Like, but like, so my kind of experience of these films are almost seeing it through, like you know, mystery science theaters and stuff. Yeah, where they're so, poking fun at it. Where they're poking fun at it, and I guess what surprised me with this is that it. I didn't think it was made cheaply. I thought it was put. They put a lot of effort into it. Like, they um they cared about what they were doing a lot. I mean, most people always do, but it wasn't, I didn't watch it in a kind of way of poking fun at it. I was watching because I was really enjoying it actually. Mm. Um, And maybe, maybe it made me learn to think maybe some of these old films, it's not just about like it being hokey. Actually, there's quite a lot of fun from it in other ways, in ways that they meant to have fun. Like, Yeah, Yeah. it, it had fun performances. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think people were phoning it in. No, no, I think people were generally believing what they were doing and you know their cause they were fighting for and stuff. I mean, it was a huge film. It was Warner Bros.'s biggest film of the year. Was it? Um, by like by far, I think it grossed more than two million in domestic. Uh, which, you know, it wasn't. It was an absolute. I mean, it it was a reason why a ton of bug films got made after this. You know, like mm. it was really a huge film when it came out, and it did change like what horror looked like in Hollywood for at least 10 years or something until like the other you know the, the tides changed again so like um it's really cool I, I really enjoyed it what would you give it out of five then um I don't know I'm I'm at there 3.54 easily like I think 
Yeah, same for me. Yeah, I just think it's solid four. Yeah. Nice. No, the only bad thing is James <laughs> was saying it loses a bit of momentum, you know, after the kind of desert stuff, but really, Well I think like, the the problem is because the ants that you the ants that you see in the desert, they don't do anything more different later on. It's still them yeah. just kind of encroaching right. on the screen and just wobbling about a bit. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Bless you. <laughs> so like I hope you keep that in. So like it's not what you see later on, you're not kind of shocked or in a war at because you've kind of already seen it, I guess. And like it does lull in terms of the action as well. It slows down in pace. But yeah, I, I think uh, I might be looking into some more uh, giant monster, uh, giant bug films from the fifties after this. I'll go into trailers from hell yeah, and same. see what Joe Dante recommends. Yeah, oh, absolutely good. Good idea because he, he's the perfect person to call. You know, what I want to watch. I want to watch Man- um, Mat- Matinee. That's yeah. what made me want yeah. to watch after watching it. So I might revisit that actually. Um, well, anyway, James, thank you so yeah. much for joining us. Not like, a problem. Um, Glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And hopefully, well, um, well, next next mini series, uh, we'll uh, invite you back on if you if you're willing. Like, um, yeah, really definitely. Cool. Always glad to be here. <laughs> Always happy to help. <laughs> so, what's uh, next week then, Liam? Uh, next week it's it. Okay, we're on to next week. It is Rafifi. Oh, French God. crime film. <laughs> <laughs> a film I actually have to pay attention to. Great. <laughs> That's a bit of a a bit of a jump. No, I think they're linked. I think them to Rafifi is a good double bill in any case. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We've got isn't Naden back. Yep, Paul Naden should be returning next week. Uh, well, next recording, whenever it comes out. I think like we probably will drop a Christmas special b- yeah. before then. Uh, so actually, the next release you hear from us actually might be our Christmas special. Yeah, I think uh, we're going to watch... Uh, is it One Magic Christmas? One Magic Christmas, that's it, yeah. Have you seen that, James? Uh, no. It's got Mary uh, Steenburgen and Harry, De- Harry Dean Stanton plays an angel in it. All right. And it's meant to be like... It's a Disney film, but it's meant to be depressing as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I, I, it's got kind of like a what would happen. It's kind of a bit of a uh, you know Christmas Carol kind of what would happen if X person wasn't around or something like that kind of thing mm. going on. Well, I just found out this afternoon there is a sequel to uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Is there? Is there? Yeah. Uh, TV movie from the seventies. Uh, it happened one that Christmas. That doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> With uh, Orson Welles as Mr. Potter. What? What? <laughs> what? Yeah. Apparently, I, mean, uh, I need to find this. Mary Bailey is now. It's basically a remake of the first film with Mary Bailey instead of. Uh, uh, I can't even remember. Uh, Jim Stewart's name in the first one. Uh, Mr. Bill Bailey. Mr. Potter, it's like today it? when you were no. going on about all the sequels to Midnight Run. I was like, mm. you're not counting those three made-for-TV <laughs> movies as sequels. It counts. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard that they're doing like I can't remember what it is. They're doing um, they're, do, uh, they're doing like a a um TV event this year about It's a Wonderful Life. Is it a table read or they're recording or something? But Pete Davidson's playing George. In it? No, I'm, I'm <laughs> and, uh, I think, and I think what's his name? Uh, oh, his name's got my head. Bloody um, 
General Zod in the new Man of Steel. Oh, Michael Shannon as well. Michael Shannon, yeah, he's in it as well. I think Ellie Kempner, Pete Davidson, Michael Shannon, Bill Pullman, Ed Asner, B.D. Wong, Mia Farrow, Richard Kind, <laughs> Maud Apatow, Dietrich Baylor, Ed Begley Jr. and Carol Kane are doing hope, is- a table read of It's a Wonderful Life. I hope Richard Kind is playing Mr. Poirot. Yeah, he would be perfect, Mr. Potter. Yeah. <laughs> he would, actually. Has this got anything to do with Apatow? It sounds like it, doesn't it? I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea. I just saw it kind of... I saw it in, in passing, almost, like on a site once, and I thought... I didn't realise it was a table read at the start, and I thought it was like, Pete Davidson? <laughs> like, that's an interesting cast. I really like I really liked the uh, King of Staten Island. I would happily watch that. No, again. I did too. I just... I think... Jimmy Stewart to Pete Davidson. There's a, there's a yeah. That's a bit of a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it's like the actual original script. They're just doing that beat for beat, like word for word. I guess so. I guess so. Interesting. Well, I guess on that note, uh, I will say thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Uh, don't forget to please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever you listen to. Us on that be that uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, Amazon Music, wherever the fuck. Um, please uh, reach out to us and talk to us on Twitter. We are at Adjust Your Track. That's with a Y R, not a Your. And please don't forget, if your picture is bad, don't forget to adjust your tracking. There we go. Boom. Every time we do that, you get more angry at it. (laughs) Angry! I'm not angry.